All right, we're going back on the record on case CR 22-211624, State of Idaho versus Lori Noreen Fallow. The prosecution's here, the defense as well as the defendant. Uh, we're still in the state's case in chief and continuing with jury trial in this matter. Um, counsel, before we bring the jurors in, I'll first note all the jurors are present and have signed their juror affirmation for today. Uh, we were going through uh, numerous exhibits yesterday and wanting to, I think, clarify the record with the clerks on the exhibits. Are there any matters regarding exhibits that we need to clarify before we get started again with evidence, Mr. Wood? Uh, just briefly, Your Honor, um, I have provided, yesterday we were missing the court copy and defense copy for uh, exhibit 68A. That has now been provided, uh, and we'll go over that with Dr. Consitis when he gets in. Um, and then we will need to uh, admit Exhibit 82 and uh, readmit 82A. And if the court wants, we can do that with Detective Consitis. Uh, leave it to the court however you want us to proceed on that. All right. Is 68A, uh, has that previously been admitted? Uh, yes, under under 68, which was the business records affidavit for it. Uh, it's a Chrysler Capital document. Okay. So if that's We a, didn't have the court or or courtesy copy to the defense yesterday. So. All right. But we did go through on the record and admit the exhibit? Yes. Okay. Thank you. So that is there. And then the other two, uh, I'll leave that up to you to offer them then with your witness here. And we'll, uh, I do have courtesy copies. So thank you for taking the time to work through those to make sure we were clear about what's in the record up to this point. Okay, um, unless there's anything further bring up before the jurors are brought in, we'll go ahead and have them brought now. All right. Please. 
securities offering is accounted for, Your Honor. Thank you. Please be seated. Okay, we're back on the record on case CR 22-21-1624, State of Idaho v. Lori Noreen Vallow. The state's continuing with its case in chief. Detective Consitus is on the stand still for direct examination. I'll remind you, you're still under oath for your testimony today. You were sworn yesterday. The jurors are all present and accounted for. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, for continuing to comply with the court's admonishment each day. We received your affirmations this morning and appreciate that. So with that in mind, Mr. Wood, if you'd like to continue with your direct examination at this time, you may. Thank you, Your Honor. To start off with, I'm going to move for admission of State's Exhibit 82. It's an affidavit of records custodian for Blue Sky Property Management. This was a document that we thought had come in with the big list yesterday but had not. So by way of stipulation, I'm going to move for that exhibit to be entered. All right. Is there any objection to State's Exhibit 82 being admitted? No objection, Your Honor. All right. Exhibit 82 will be admitted. Thank you. Detective, yesterday we had spoken about the finances of Lori Vallow and Tylee Ryan. Do you have the same folder with you that you had yesterday? Yes. Okay. Do you have State's Exhibit 68A? Your Honor, I just ask for the bailiff to be able to hand the witness a copy of State's Exhibit 68A. Yes, you may. Detective, do you recognize State's Exhibit 68A? I do. What is it? This is the finance vehicle application for a loan for Chrysler Financial for Charles Vallow in reference to a purchase of a 2018 Jeep Wrangler. Okay. Your Honor, may I publish for the jury? You may. Detective, what was significant about this document in your investigation? Well, when we were reviewing the financial records, as I mentioned yesterday, Tylee was having vehicle loan payments withdrawn from her Chase Morgan account. That's the 3918 account. 
and they were showing uh, withdrawals of $599.09 uh, for this vehicle. Okay. Uh, when did those payments start? The payments, the vehicle was purchased in April, and the first payment that came out from Tally's account was in June of 2019. Okay. Um, when was the last payment? Well, there were payments for June, July, and August, and uh, those are the payments that were successfully taken out. Okay. What happened after August? Well, as we alluded to yesterday, when the monies for Tylee's Social Security were moved or transitioned from her Chase account into Lori Vallow's personal account, the BBVA account, uh, the September car payment uh, came back as uh, insufficient funds from that Chase Morgan account of okay. Tylee's. And were the, so it was set up on, was it set up on automatic withdrawal? They were. Okay. And so after September, were any payments made on that Jeep? No. Okay. Uh, Detective, are you familiar with um, a Jeep that was seized by the Rexburg Police Department in November of 2019? I am. Is this that same Jeep? This is the same vehicle. Okay. Um, to your knowledge, was that Jeep ever reported missing or stolen to the Rexburg Police Department? It was not to, uh, it was not reported by, to any law enforcement uh, agency that we were aware of. Okay, and, and to clarify it, uh, to make sure I'm clear, uh, the Rexburg Depar Police Department seized that Jeep, correct? Yes, our department seized uh, that Jeep on November 4th of 2019, and the vehicle was in the area of the Rock Creek townhome where Ms. Vallow resided. Okay. Um, thank you. Detective, can you look at State's Exhibit 88A? Yes. Do you recognize that document? Is this a, the email from Kauai Dreams Realty? Yes. Yes. Your Honor, may I publish? Yes. Okay. That's kind of hard to read on that, Elmo, but can, what is the significance of this document to your investigation? Well, from, as we're looking for the kids uh, prior to the days they were found, before we go forward, I apologize for the interruption, Mr. Wood. There was an indication you were, I'm unclear on the status of 82A, whether that's been admitted at this time. I think it was, but I wanted to make that clear before we go further with publication. Yes. Okay, thank you. Apologies, you can continue. Oh no, that's fine. Detective, what was the significance of this document? Well, in 
trying to generate information uh, to find the kids, we would monitor social media sites, and this information came up on uh, one of the social media sites, so we followed up on it to see the, the validity of it. Uh, I reached out and spoke with Julie Black, the uh, owner and chief broker for uh, Kauai Dreams Realty in Hawaii, and this is an email that uh, is dated November 8th of 2019 that Chad Daybell sent to Julie Black at Kauai Dream Trilogy. Okay. And is is the body of the email on this document? It is. Can you read that? Yes. Mr. Daybell writes, we're interested in seeing this property. Would the others be interested in, would the owners be interested in leasing this property to a clean couple with no pets or children? Please let us know. Thank you. What is the date on that document, on that email? It's November 8th of 2019, three days after they were married. Okay. Um, what was the significance of that to you in your investigation? Well, they're looking for a residence and telling them that they don't have any children. Okay. Detective, can you look at State's Exhibit 90A? What is that document? This is a uh, subscriber information for Sparklight or Cable One in Rexburg in the name of Lori Vallow for the apartment of 565 Pioneer Road, apartment 175 in Rexburg. Your Honor, may I publish? Yes. Uh, Detective. So whose name is on the cover page of that document? Uh, Lori Ballow. Is there an email associated with it? There is. Okay. Um, what was the significance of these documents to your investigation? Well, two things uh, stand out. This uh, confirms that they moved up to the area. As it's dated, uh, the creation date for this document was September 3rd, so they had moved from Arizona up. But it also shows that she's living in and, and uh, requesting service subscription for apartment 175 when she, uh, as you recall yesterday on her rental lease agreement, it was for apartment 107. Okay. Um, and who actually lived in apartment 107 pursuant to your investigation? Her brother, Alex Cox. Okay. So, so just to clarify, Lori Vallow leased one uh, apartment 107? Yes. But she lived in 175. Correct. Okay. Is there anything else in these documents that are significant? Yes, it shows uh, an IP address established for the uh, account. Okay. 
Does it show any type of Internet history or it was that aided your investigation? Yeah, well, there was Venmo transactions made from this IP address for this account. Okay, and so were you able to track those transactions? Yes. Okay. Detective, will you look at State's Exhibit 90B? B as in boy. Okay. What is that document? This is a subscriber account generation for Cable One Sparklight in the name of Alex Cox. Thank you, Your Honor. May I publish? Yes. What is the significance of that document to your investigation? This shows that the subscribing residence was for apartment 107. Okay. Thank you. Was there anything else significant about that document to your investigation? There was IP addresses associated with this account that were used in the investigation. Detective, if you'll look at State's Exhibit 91A. Okay. Do you recognize that document? I do. What is it? This is a document from the Windstream Communications Company reference to an IP address that we had inquired about. Okay. May I publish, Your Honor? You may. What is significant about this document that aided your investigation? Well, we learned that Tylee's Venmo account was used and an IP address associated with it was documented. So we followed up on that and we learned that the IP address was through the Windstream Communications. And when we contacted them, they say that, yes, they are in charge of issuing IP addresses through their communications company. And the IP address specifically was issued to the residents in airport in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. And why was that important for you to know? Well, on October 10th of 2019, the $100 Venmo transaction was made. And we know through flight records that Lori accompanied her niece, Melanie Boudreau-Pulowski, from Phoenix to Kansas City, Missouri to visit friends. And the transaction was made through using Tylee's phone from the information we had. Does this document show those transactions? It does. Can you go to that page? What does this document show 
these are uh, recorded uh, Venmo transactions to uh, Tally Ryan's account. Made from that IP address that you were discussing. Yes, on 1010, the third row down, it shows uh, $100 sent to Kobe Ryan with the message, we love you. And there's the IP address there that is the same IP address that we were able to validate from Kansas City, uh, Missouri residents in. And Detective, can you look at State's Exhibit 92A? Your may I publish it for the detective to see? Yes. Detective, do you recognize that document? Um, yes. What is it? This is the folio that uh, we obtained from the residence in, in the name of Melanie Boudreau. And this confirms that uh, our information that the uh, with the flight information that they were in Kansas City. Okay, and can you remind the jury who Melanie Boudreaux is? Melanie is the niece of Lori Vallow. Okay, and how many guests stayed with her at the residence inn? Up here on the top right, number of guests states two. Okay, and in the state's previous exhibit, that IP address was tracked to that residence in, correct? Correct. Okay, thank you. A detective for, for uh, how, would, how would that IP address be located? Or what was the significance of that IP address being located there? Well, we know that um, if I understand your question correctly, I, we know that through our investigation that Tylee and or JJ didn't make that trip. Okay. And it was issued to, I think it was used on Tylee's phone. Okay. Thank you. Detective, I want to talk to you briefly about the beginning of your investigation. Um, at any time, did you do a, uh, engage in any type of search for 
pharmaceutical records for J.J. Vallow. Yes. Uh, what was the purpose of doing that? Well, in cases, uh, missing person cases and things, if we have a general idea of where a person had lived or is living, we can inquire to the state or area to see if uh, if there was any prescriptions that were filled. It's a, it's a tool or resource we use in law enforcement. Okay. And is, is that a, a way to locate an individual? Yes. Okay. What's... Uh, and do you do that through a state agency? We do. Okay. Um, what's the process for doing that? We reach out to the, uh, it's in Idaho, it's, it's the state uh, prescription monitoring program. Each state has a variation of the same thing. We'll reach out to them and we will uh, submit our request and they will run checks for the information we submit. Okay. And w what states, did, did you, do this search with states other than Idaho? Yes. What states did you do that with? I inquired to Arizona, the state of Hawaii, and the state of Montana. Okay. Did you find any records of prescriptions being filled in any of those states? Uh, no, not for the time frame okay. that we were inquiring. What was the time frame that you asked uh, those states to look at? for 2019. Okay. Detective, will you look at State's Exhibit 94A? Okay. That's it's a little hard to read, but can you turn to uh, the page marked one of two regarding J.J. Vallow. And Your Honor, may I publish? You may. Detective, did you receive this from the state of Hawaii? I did. And, and what did those records show you? Trouble seeing in the lighting to read this. So the the right the the writing's small. It shows that there were prescriptions filled in 2015 and 2017. Okay, but were there any prescriptions filled in 2019 for JJ Vallow in Hawaii? No. Okay. Did you do a similar search in the state of Montana? Yes. Uh, why would you do such a search in Montana? Early investigation, there was, I believe it was a tip that was called in and we followed up on that the children may be possibly being held in a compound in Montana. Okay, and uh, so was this, this was an effort to follow up on that tip. Correct. Um, will you look at States Exhibit 95A?
did you did you submit multiple names uh, to the Montana Prescription Drug Registry for JJ? I did. Why was that? Well, in the course of our investigation, we found that uh, JJ would was um, his name had been changed uh, on a at a on a couple of uh, follow-ups, I guess we would say, um, and did. JJ would go from Vallow or Ryan, and so we would use those names. Okay. Detective, Your Honor, may I publish? You may. Do you recognize that document? I do. What is it? This is the um, paperwork we received from the state of Montana from their prescription monitoring program in the name of J.J. Ryan. Okay, were any prescriptions found for J.J. Ryan in Montana? No. Okay, I'm going to go to the next page. Were any prescriptions found for Joshua Jackson Vallow in Montana? No. Okay. And were any prescriptions found for Joshua Jackson Jackson Vallow? No. Did you submit any other names to the state of Montana? Did. What was the purpose? What names did you submit? Uh, those for Tylee Ryan. Uh, were there any medications found for Tylee Ryan? No. Okay. And did you submit any other names? I believe we submitted for Lori Vallow as well. Do you know if you submitted for Melanie Boudreaux? Yes, we did. What was the purpose of submitting Melanie Boudreaux's name? Well, we know from the day of the original search warrants back in November that uh, Melanie was currently living directly next door to Lori. And so in an effort to see if there was any relation between the, the disappearance of the kids and Melanie in this case, we generated her name as well. Okay. Detective, did you submit a request to the state of Arizona? I did. Can you look at States Exhibit 93A? Did you receive a response from the State of Arizona? I did. What, uh, what was that? This was just notification stating that the Department of Arizona prescription monitoring program, there's no record of narcotics or opioids being prescribed to any of the parties that I listed in the email. Okay. And to your, uh, pursuant to your conversation with Arizona, do they check for, does their drug prescription registry check for drugs that are not narcotics or opioids? They do not. They only track the opioid-based drugs. Okay. So, Detective, did you 
Did your search of prescription drug registries lead you to any information that helped you find Joshua Jackson or J.J. Vallow or Tylee Ryan? No. Detective, can you turn to State's Exhibit 96A? Okay. Do you recognize that document? I do. What is it? This is an email that uh, Lori Vallow sent to her accountant, Michael Edson. Um inquiring about forwarding of tax return monies. Okay. Um, may I publish, Your Honor? You may. Detective, what was sig significant about that document to your investigation? Well, first off, she's uh, explaining that Charles Vallow, her former husband, had passed away, and she was looking for information on how to obtain uh, monies to be forwarded to her address as she was moving. Um, in and of itself, it appears just to be a, a, a normal uh, you know, exchange of information that, that she's requesting. But if you look at the date and time, that's the part that stands out to us as investigators. And why was that? Why was the date and time significant? Well, the date of the email sent was September 9th, and pursuant to our investigation, we believe Tylee was killed um, between the 8th and 9th of September. And the time on the email that was sent was 5.03 p.m., so this is just hours after Tylee was, we believe, buried in the backyard of Chad Daybell. Okay. Your Honor, I, I'm going to object for speculation. I, I think we were, we're guessing here. I move to strike. Your Honor, I think that the detective is uh, allowed to testify about his uh, conclusions and findings and why uh, that document was significant and the timing of it was significant. All right. It goes to weight and not admissibility. That will go to uh, cross-examination if you'd like, Mr. Archibald, but if I'll overrule that objection. Detective, can you look at State's Exhibit 98A? Okay. Do you recognize that document? Yes. What is it? These are the documents for from American Airlines. They are all flight records that um, we received when we submitted our search warrant. Did you find any search history for Tylee Ryan or J.J. Vallow or Lori Vallow on, in these documents? Yes, there was flight history for both Tylee and Lori. Tylee uh, has flown, flew in uh, to Hawaii twice, I mentioned yesterday as well, in February and in March. She uh, flew uh, to Hawaii, and uh, Lori had 
traveled uh, multiple times on uh, American Airlines. There was no record of JJ flying American Airlines at all. Okay. And what was the time frame in which you did this search? We requested our search from the 1st of January to 2019 through the current date of the search warrant. And do you recall what that was? The exact date, I, I, I don't know, but it was early on in the investigation. I believe it was in um, February. February of, of what year? 2020. Okay. So just, just to clarify, you found flight, two flights for Tylee Ryan to Hawaii. Yes. And multiple flights for Lori Vallow. Yes. Uh, were any of those flights of Lori Vallow of any interest to you? Yes, they're on around the time of Tammy Daybell's funeral. Uh, she returned from Hawaii to Phoenix and then made her way to by flight to uh, Idaho Falls. Okay, do you recall the dates of those flights? I believe it's the 23rd of, of October. Okay, do you know what day Tammy, Tammy Daybell's funeral was? October 23rd, 2019. Sector, can you look at State's Exhibit? One hundred. May I inquire if the clerk did State's Exhibit 100 to get admitted into evidence? I show that's been admitted. Do you have State's Exhibit 100? I do. It's a business records affidavit. Yes. <coughs> Your Honor, I need to briefly inquire of defense counsel for one moment, if that's all right. All right. After you've done that, let's have a brief sidebar as well. There's a couple of issues on the exhibits I want to discuss yep. with counsel as well. back on the record after that break now to just uh, clarify on the record the exhibits we've got. Mr. Wood, one of the issues that uh, came up is Exhibit 93 has already been testified to and published, but we don't believe was admitted previously, so at this time I would ask the state to move for its admission, and we'll see if there's any objection. The state so moves, Your Honor. 
All right, any objection to that Exhibit 93 having been admitted and now published to the jury? No objection, Your Honor. All right, thank you, counsel, for that. And then, Mr. Wood, if you would clarify on the record here with Exhibit 100, and I believe we've got that remark now and uh, organized as well, but could you indicate on the record what where we're at with Exhibit 100? Yes, thank you. Um, exhibit 100, there were uh, two Exhibit 100 submitted. Uh, one was the records of a, a business records custodian the, or an affidavit of a business records custodian, and the other were the actual records. The actual records have now been marked as Exhibit 100A. Okay. And is there any objection to Exhibit – has that been offered yet? Uh, yes, Your Honor. All right. Any objection to Exhibit 100A being admitted? No, Your Honor. Okay. Exhibit 100A is also admitted then, so – we can go ahead and continue on with the examination now, Mr. Wood. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Detective, do you have a, a copy of State's Exhibit 100? And I just realize, Your Honor, that I think the detective's copy might still be marked as 100. If you like, you can approach with or have the bailiff have him your correct copy to make sure we're publishing the right thing. Thank you. Detective, do you recognize State's Exhibit 100A? I do. What is it? These are <clears throat> records of what we obtained uh, through Southwest Airlines through a subpoena. Okay. And what was the significance of those records in your investigation? We had come across uh, information that Southwest Airlines was, was being used by uh, Ms. Fallow, so we inquired and we were able to obtain the records to in the hopes of locating whether or not J.J. or Tylee had traveled. And did you find if J.J. or Tylee had ever traveled on Southwest Airlines in the relevant time period? Uh, yes, uh, JJ uh, was had six trips, and they're all between uh, Phoenix and Houston. And the last trip, I believe, it, uh, the record uh, states is uh, June twelfth. I believe was the last time he flew. Or correction, June sixteenth. Okay, but no flights after that for JJ Vala. No flights after that. Did you find any flights for Tyree Ryan? Did not on Southwest Airlines. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> and Detective, do you have State's Exhibit 99A? State's Exhibit 99A. Uh, these are flight records from Allegiant Airlines that we obtained through the issuance of a search warrant. Okay, and what was what was the significance of these records to your investigation? Well, as we learned yesterday, there were flights being 
uh, paid for, uh, which we found in the financial records of Lori Val. So we obtained uh, flight information to see if uh, JJ or Tylee have been flown anywhere. Okay, and what did you find uh, in those records? There are no flights showing that JJ or Tylee flew on Allegiant Airlines in our time frame that we searched for. Okay, did you find any other flights of interest? There were um, several flights that uh, um, from between Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow, uh, Melanie Boudreaux. There was a lot of travel between Idaho Falls and and Phoenix Mesa during that time frame. Okay. Um, and did that aid your investigation in any way? If the court will just give me a brief second to convene with. Go ahead. Your Honor, if you could just give me one moment. I just have a couple more brief questions, Your Honor. Go ahead. Detective, can you look at State's Exhibit 97? I would note, Your Honor, that 97 came in um, both as the affidavit of the records custodian and the records were attached to it. Okay. Do you recognize States Exhibit 97? Is this the Etsy? 
So it's a document from Etsy? Correct. I'm sorry. A, a document from Etsy? What is Etsy? It's an online store you can purchase items through. They're not too familiar with them as I've never used them, but I understand you can use them to purchase items and they'll mail them to you. Okay. Can you turn to the second page marked? It's shown as Exhibit A. Okay. And may I publish, Your Honor? You may. Detective, what is... What does this document show? It shows that on August 15th, the buyer, the shipping name was Lori Ballow, and it shows a description of what was provided by the shop owner. Okay. And what, what is the description of item? So it's glow-in-the-dark malachite inlay titanium ring. Okay. Glow-in-the-dark malachite inlay titanium ring, both eight, eight millimeters. And what is the... Okay. Glow-in-the-dark malachite inlay titanium ring. Detective, for the record, will you spell malachite? M-A-L-A-C-H-I-T-E. And what was the order date? August 15th of 2019. Uh, and who, who was the, the purchaser? Lori Vallow. Okay. Uh, and was there an, a, an email account associated with this purchase or attempted purchase? Yes. What is that? Uh, Lollytime at iCloud.com. Okay. And was there an address given to, for that, to be, that item to be shipped to? The address listed was 5531 South Four Peaks Place, Chandler, Arizona, 85249. Okay. What was significant about that to you, Detective, in your investigation? The, on the bottom uh, column, it's still up on the screen, and the, on the, there's a credit card that was used that ended in, on the very loud bottom there, 7213, which is a, a card for uh, Lori Ballow. The card was ultimately uh, declined. Okay. Is there anything else significant about that purchase or attempted purchase? Just that they were, appeared to be wedding rings. Okay. I'll object to that, Your Honor. That's apparently speculation. There's nothing on the document saying it's a wedding ring. I'll sustain the objection and ask the jurors to disregard the previous response. Your Honor, the, uh, the state has no further questions at this time. All right. Thank you, Mr. Wood. Uh, who will be conducting cross-examination? Your Honor, I've, I've reviewed all the documents. Detective Concitis has introduced. I don't have any questions for him. All right. There will be no cross-examination of this witness then, so that will conclude testimony of Detective Concitis. Any objection to him being released? No objection. 
Your Honor, we are asking that he not be released. Um, Detective Consitis had multiple roles in this investigation and will need and will be recalled to testify about completely separate matters. Okay, understood. So uh, he's the state's witness, so I'll leave that up to the state's discretion as to whether uh, he needs a return. I don't know if he's here under subpoena, but apparently they'll want you back at a later date and you can talk to the prosecutors about that. So that will conclude your testimony for now, though. I will remind you then, if you are to be recalled, I'll be hopefully remembering, with the, as I have with every witness, to ensure that you have not followed any further trial testimony in the interim. So please uh, abide by that if you're going to be recalled. And with that, then the state, if you've got another witness to call at this time, you can. Your Honor, the state calls Mike Douglas. Ms. Rawlings, are you going to be conducting direct here? Yes, I am. For Mr. Douglas, and maybe uh, this would be an appropriate time, um, Your Honor, we have some summary exhibits or demonstrative exhibits that have been previously provided to the defense with, uh, along with attribution for it as well. Um, and I'm going to be 
making a uh, motion for their admission pursuant to IRE 1006 and to aid the jury in understanding the, volum the voluminous financial documents and information that were analyzed by Mr. Douglas in this case. They are exhibits 111 through 117. And I believe that I, I emailed um, the court and counsel a copy of everything Saturday afternoon. All right, well, let's go ahead and have uh, your witness sworn, and then if there are uh, additional exhibits you'd like to move to admit, we'll take that up. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And Your Honor, if you'd like, I can have the witnesses handed the originals of Exhibits 111 through 117 just to confirm that they were uh, prepared by him in aid of his testimony. All right. Uh, before that, let's get started here. The witness has now been sworn. I'd first like to inquire, have you, um, Mr. Douglas, reviewed any of the trial testimony before coming in today or listened in on the trial or observed it in any way? No, Your Honor. Okay. Thank you for that. I'll next advise you that uh, while you're testifying, we're making a record, so please make an effort to answer all of the questions with verbal responses and try to avoid speaking at the same time as anyone questioning you so the record stays clear. So with those <coughs> rules in mind, then, I understand the state request to have the witness uh, provided with copies of certain exhibits. Is that correct, Ms. Rawlings? That's correct. I believe uh, defense counsel is just confirming they are the same ones.
it's the small page, right? The social security. I know I emailed it to you. Mr. Douglas, if you'll just look through those and confirm that they are the same um, summary or demonstrative exhibits that you prepared in aid of your testimony today. Yes, ma'am, they are. All right, Your Honor, and I will move for the admission of those summary exhibits pursuant to 1006. All right. Well, I've, I've looked at these, so uh, I want to take them up individually. So starting with exhibit 111, which does appear to be a summary that may qualify under 1006 of the rules of evidence. Does the defense have any objection to that being admitted? Just uh, if this witness can testify that these are, were prepared by him um, and, and what he relied upon to prepare these summaries. All right. Um, I think that's appropriate to have additional foundation if there's a question as to 111. Uh, okay, thank you, Your Honor. Um, Agent Douglas, with regards to Exhibit 111, could you please look at that? Yes, ma'am. And for the record, I should state that I'm a forensic accountant, not a special agent. Okay. Just to make sure that's clear for the record. Okay, thank you. And um, did you prepare Exhibit 111? I did. What documents did you rely on in preparing Exhibit 111? So as noted down at the bottom, uh, Tyler had a J.P. Morgan Chase account then in 3918. This was a joint account with Ms. Daybell. And then the following, uh, towards the end, the marks that are in the green and the red, Tyler later had a bank account with uh, BBVA that ended in 5794. And due to Tyler being a minor again, Ms. Daybell had to be a signer on the account. All right, and were you provided um, information or bank account information by um, Detective Concitus with the Rexburg Police Department? Yes, ma'am, I was. Your Honor, I believe um, that that information was relied upon by Agent Douglas in preparing these exhibits. All right, with that additional foundation, any objection to Exhibit 111 being admitted? No, Your Honor. All right, Exhibit 111 is admitted as a summary to prove content under Rule 1006. Uh, the next offered exhibit is 112, which is a timeline. Uh, what's the offer on that, Ms. Rawlings? 
Thank you, Your Honor. And I should also mention that um, I provided the defense an Excel spreadsheet, and I believe the court also received a, a copy of the Excel spreadsheet showing all of the account information and attribution and foundation for Mr. Douglas's preparation of these timelines. I believe defense counsel had difficulty opening that Excel spreadsheet that I sent, and I did provide them a hard copy of it yesterday as well. All right. As it relates then to the timeline, I wouldn't see that as falling under Rule 1006. Is it a demonstrative exhibit? Yes, it is, Your Honor. And um, I can go through the questions if you'd like. Uh, let me just ask then, is there any objection to Exhibit 112 being admitted at this time from the defense? I don't believe I heard this witness say that he's the one who prepared it. Uh, relying upon what information? All right, if you'd like to ask some foundational questions, you can. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Mr. Douglas, in preparation for your testimony today, uh, with regard to Exhibit 112, what is that? Can you identify that? This is a timeline uh, relative to Tylee and events that happened in her lifetime from the death of her father, Joe Ryan, going forward. Okay. And did you personally prepare this exhibit? I did. Did you prepare it in aid of your testimony today? I did. Did you prepare it in an effort to aid the jury in understanding all of the financial information you analyzed? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, I'd move for the admission of Exhibit 112. All right. Any objection as to 112? No, Your Honor. Very well, Exhibit 112 is admitted as a demonstrative exhibit. Let's next look at the Exhibit 113, which is also a timeline. Uh, Madam Prosecutor, if you'd like to inquire, you may. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Officer Douglas, or Mr. Douglas, would you please identify Exhibit 113 for the record? This is a chart that, or a timeline that I noted uh, as events that happened in JJ's lifetime from the passing of Charles Vallow uh, moving forward in his lifetime. Okay, and did you personally prepare that exhibit? Yes, ma'am. And did you rely on information and financial uh, account information that you received from Detective Consitis to prepare that document? Yes, ma'am. Did you prepare that document to aid the jury in understanding the financial accounts and information that you analyzed as part of your work on this case as a forensic accountant? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, I'd move for the admission of Exhibit 112. Uh, I think that's 113. I'm sorry, 113. Any objection on 113 being admitted? <clears throat> um, may I ask a question in aid of objection? You may. Uh, Mr. Douglas, on your timeline here, you have dates that Tylee is killed and JJ is killed. Is that part of your accounting? to figure out when the dates people died or was that information told to you? The information was told to me, sir. Okay. So if, if those dates aren't correct about the, the dates that the children were killed, uh, is all the other information on your sheet correct? Yes, sir. Your Honor, uh, for demonstrative purposes, I don't object to the exhibits. Uh, 
it's based upon what others told him as well. All right. Without objection, then, and with that in mind, the court does find that it's allowable as a demonstrative exhibit, and so Exhibit 113 is admitted. Let's uh, next look at Exhibit 114, which was offered. You can inquire as to that as well now, Ms. Rawlings. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Mr. Douglas, can you identify Exhibit 114 for the record? Yes, ma'am. These are Social Security payments received by Ms. Daybill after the passing of the children, or the dates given for the passing of the children. And did you prepare that document yourself? I did. Did you prepare it as an aid um, or summary for the jury for demonstrative purposes? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, I'd move for the admission of Exhibit 114. Any objection on 114? No, Your Honor. All right, Exhibit 114 is admitted. Let's next look at Exhibit 115, which is the timeline. You can inquire, Ms. Rawlings. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Officer Douglas, can you identify Exhibit, I think we are on 115 now? Yes. Yes, ma'am, this is a timeline that I referenced as the grand theft timeline that I prepared. All right, and you prepared that um, yourself? Yes, ma'am. And you prepared that in aid of your testimony today before the jury? That is correct. And did you prepare it in an effort to um, help the jury understand the voluminous financial information and other information you learned through your investigation? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, I'd move for the admission of Exhibit 114 as a demonstrative exhibit. That's 115 Sorry. that we're on. Uh, any objection as to Exhibit 115? May I ask a question in aid of objection? Yes. So, uh, Mr. Douglas, again, you're relying on information told to you from the police as to dates of death of Tylee, JJ, and Tammy. That is correct. So that's, that's not part of your uh, forensic accounting is to figure out when and where people died, but that was information that was told to you? Yes, sir. With that explanation, Your Honor, I don't have any objection to the exhibit. All right, then uh, Exhibit 115 is admitted as a demonstrative exhibit. There's another timeline that's Exhibit 116. If you'd like to inquire on foundation for that, you may. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Douglas, can you identify Exhibit 116 for the record? Yes, ma'am. That is a timeline of the life insurance relative to Miss Tammy Daybell. And did you prepare that in aid of your testimony today? I did. Did you prepare it as an aid to assist the jury in understanding the financial information that you analyzed in this case? Yes, ma'am. Did you rely on other information from other law enforcement officers in preparing this exhibit? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, for demonstrative purposes, I would move to admit Exhibit 116. Any objection as to 116? For demonstrative purposes, I do not object. 
Okay. Exhibit 116 is admitted as a demonstrative exhibit. And then finally, there was Exhibit 117 offered. And if you'd like to ask foundational questions, you may. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Mr. Douglas, for the record, can you identify Exhibit 117? Yes, ma'am. This one I tiled the Venmo activity, and uh, I prepared this in aid of my testimony today. Thank you. And um, you prepared that yourself? Yes, ma'am. You prepared that to assist the jury in understanding the financial information you analyzed? I did. Um, is there any information on this document that's relying on other officers, or is it just containing financial information? There is information on it relying on other officers. Okay. And so you included information that you learned through uh, your contact with other law enforcement in this investigation? That's correct. Your Honor, for purposes of demonstrative, uh, for a demonstrative exhibit, I would move for the admission of Exhibit 117. Any objection as to 117? No, Your Honor. Okay. Thank you. Exhibit 117 is now admitted as well. You can continue with any direct examination at this time, then, Ms. Rawlings. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, for Can I also ask the court to um, pull previously admitted Exhibits 64A and B? I'll need those shortly. Yes. Okay, we'll work on getting those ready. All right. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Douglas, will you please state your name and, and spell it for the record? My name is Michael Douglas, M-I-C-H-A-E-L Douglas, D-O-U-G-L-A-S-S. And where are you employed? With the FBI. What is your job title with the FBI? I'm a forensic accountant, ma'am. What does a forensic accountant do? A typical day-to-day -day is research and analyze financial records, post or hold interviews, and uh, testify. Can you describe in more detail the work you did in analyzing the financial data in this case? So regarding this case, I reviewed nearly 80 bank accounts to include credit card statements. Uh, for multiple individuals in this case. Okay. Can you name some of the individuals that you analyzed the bank accounts? Uh, Ms. Daybell, Chad Daybell, Alex Cox, to name a few, ma'am. Okay, thank you. I'm going to ask that you be handed, um, it's been marked as, previously marked as States Exhibit 64A and 64B. Do you recognize those? I do. Can you tell the jury what those are? These are bank statements in the name of Ms. Lori Vallow uh, regarding her bank account with BBVA Compass. Okay. And have you reviewed those records previously? Yes, ma'am. Are you familiar, um, excuse me, have you reviewed other bank records on behalf of Lori Vallow? I have. And are you familiar with Mark Sari? Yes, ma'am. Have you worked with Mark Sari in relation to this case? I have. In your investigation on this case, have you looked into the deposits of Social Security funds into that uh, BBVA Compass account? Yes, ma'am. Have you reviewed um, Social Security benefits being deposited into any other accounts? Yes, ma'am. What were those accounts? 
Tyler was receiving Social Security payments into her J.P. Morgan Chase account, ending 3918. As part of your role as a forensic accountant, we've kind of gone through this a little bit. Um, did you prepare any demonstrative aids or documents summarizing the amounts of those Social Security funds that were received into that BBVA Compass account? Yes, ma'am. And are you familiar with the timeline of the death for Tylee Ryan? I am. Do you know approximately when she died? It is approximately 9-9 of 19. Um, did you create a summary or a demonstrative exhibit with Tylee's financial information? I have. All right, and then starting with um, Exhibit 111. Let's, I'm going to try this two ways, Your Honor. I have the hard copy, but they are on legal paper, so I'm not sure how well they'll show under the Elmo. I also have a, an electronic copy that we can try and pull up on my computer. Okay. So um, if we can try the computer version first. The only thing is that I think that I, it will show if I switch screens. Yes, it will. So I think we're going to have to go with the um, Can you explain uh, the information contained in this document? Yes, ma'am. So the information provided on this document are regarding Tylee's two bank accounts. Uh, first one starting with her J.P. Morgan Chase account beginning January 1 of 2019. And the following bank account uh, for her BBVA uh, Compass account, the 5794. Uh, prior to... August 2019, the expenses says they can be seen on here uh, for Tylee's pattern of life are between about 30 to 70 transactions. Those are both brick and mortar purchases such as going to the local grocery store and also include uh, monthly expenses such as her Apple account. And then the following, uh, the red and the green, and the information provided there in August and September, both of those show, as I will show later on, when Tylee's J or BBVA account was open, and then the transition to the BBVA account, the closing of the J.P. Morgan account, and then the continued use of the BBVA account. So how many bank accounts are shown on this document? Two. All right, and then you explained the colors are tracking what information? So the blue will show Tylee's deposits that were made into her J.P. Morgan account. The orange shows the withdrawals or the transactions from that same account. The green is associated with deposits that were into the Compass or BBVA account, and the red are withdrawals from that BBVA account. Okay. 
And what account did Tylee's Social Security payments from the death of her father, Joe Ryan, get deposited into initially? Those were initially going into the Chase account. And how did Tylee manage her money when she had access to her J.P. Morgan Chase account? Tylee was responsible with her money. I never saw her have one negative balance. Were any automatic payments set up for Tylee's account, for the J.P. Morgan account? She had two. She had her Jeep payment as well as her T-Mobile payment. Okay. And did you create a timeline referencing the major financial and other events for Tylee? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, may I publish Exhibit 112? You may. Let's see if we can try it. Are you able to read that, Mr. Douglas? Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Can you walk me through this timeline? So this timeline starts regarding the death of Tyler, or passing of Tyler's father, Joe Ryan. Uh, the date on that was April 3rd of 2018. It was due to her father's passing was why she received the Social Security payments. Uh, the initial Social Security payments start going into her J.P. Morgan Chase account on June 14th of 2018. Uh, Tylee was we found in Tylee's records, or I found in Tylee's records, that she had payments to a GED program, researched that, and we found that Tylee had received her GED, uh, and the passing date was October 12th of 2018. Uh, this BBVA account that you handed me earlier, Ms. Vallow, it's from Ms. Stabels, was opened uh, October 23rd of 2018, uh, Joe Ryan held a life insurance policy, and the records that we obtained showed that death benefits were provided and paid into a bank account held by Ms. Daybell uh, to the tune of just about $65,000. That deposit was October 26th of 2018. Um, also in bank, Tylee's bank records, we found deposits from JNS Investments. Research found that that belonged to her uncle, Dr. Jeff Shiflett. She worked for him for a couple of months. Uh, so she was having deposits into her account from Dr. Shiflett, uh, starting December 10th of 18. And, uh, when, did the T-Mobile payments start? The T-Mobile payments started, as far as the records they provided to us, February 25th of 19. Okay. And just, if you'll continue walking through that timeline. Okay. Uh, as I noted earlier, Tylee had her Jeep. Uh, her Charles Vallow helped her purchase that Jeep. Uh, he's the co-signer on the application. And her initial payment for the Jeep came out June 3rd of 2019, again from her J.P. Morgan Chase account. Uh, and then following month, July 11th, uh, is the shooting of Charles Vallow by Mr. Cox. Uh, a week later, there was a 
text message that was discovered between Ms. Daybell and Mr. Daybell about the receiving of $4,000 Social Security funds, but not receiving a life insurance payment or life insurance policy. The following week, we noticed that this was the last payment of Tylee's Social Security funds into her J.P. Morgan Chase account. Can you just say the date for the record? July 24th of 2019. Ms. Vallow had a $2 million life insurance policy. The records provided per the insurance company showed that on August 12th, Ms. Vallow had changed that policy to her son Colby to be 100% beneficiary. On August 14th was the date that we received, or per the application that we received from the rental company that Ms. Vallow had applied for her apartment in Rexburg. And per this application, Ms. Vallow states that she's receiving $5,740 Social Security funds. And did that track with your review of the financial information for the Social Security? No, ma'am. On August 16th of 2019, Tylee's Social Security payments had been changed to be deposited into Ms. Vallow or Ms. Daybell's BBVA account ending in 3229. On August 19th of 2019, this is when Tylee's BBVA account was opened. Was that a joint account? It was. Who was on the account with Tylee? It would have been Ms. Daybell. August 28th, this is the initial deposit of Tylee's Social Security funds into Ms. Daybell's BBVA account ending in 3229. August 31st, this is the date that we show Ms. Daybell and the children moving to Rexburg. I found throughout my research on September 8th that Colby had requested Tylee to send him a Venmo payment. Venmo being a person-to-person transfer of funds or a peer-to-peer transfer of funds. Tylee responded back that she did not have the funds in her account and that Ms. Daybell was receiving them. Also that date, I wanted to note that Mr. Daybell is searching the wind direction of south-southwest. The next day is noted the homicide of Tylee. There's also an email between Ms. Daybell to a former accountant by the name of Mike Edson requesting information about a tax refund from a prior year of her and Mr. Vallow. Tylee's Venmo account, as I will show on later information, there is one funding source per her account at the time of her death. The BBVA account of hers was added on 9-10 of 2019, the day after her passing, her belief passing. On September 20th, 
This is the date that Tylee's J.P. Morgan Chase account was closed. Um, per records provided by Colby and uh, also iCloud account information, uh, there's text message information regarding a phone associated with Tylee, phone associated with Ms. Daybell and Colby. Of, uh, and I'd be paraphrasing, but I asked Tylee to Venmo you. I sent Tylee money to Venmo you. Uh, on October 10th, uh, per information provided by Venmo, uh, they can track your IP information. Uh, an IP login transfer of funds from Tylee's account to Colby takes place in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and I, I noted the marriage of Chad and Lori on 11-5-2019 and then the discovery of the children's remains on Mr. Daybell's property on June 9th of 20. Thank you, um, Mr. Douglas. Your Honor, um, I have a few more charts. It might be a good time to take the mid-morning break at this point. Okay. I'll agree with that. So we'll go ahead and take our mid-morning recess for about 20 minutes or so, and then you can continue with your examination after that. Ms. Rawlings, thank you. Thank you. All right, All right, thank you. Please be seated. May I continue, Your Honor? Yes, go ahead, Ms. Rawlings. Thank you. Um, Mr. Douglas, with respect to Tylee's finances, do you recall when the automatic payments for the Jeep stopped? The final payment stopped on September September 1st of 2019, and that was due to the lack of funds in the account. Thank you. Now, are you familiar with the timeline of the death for JJ Value? That JJ Vallo. Yes, ma'am. When approximately did he die? Approximately approximately September 23rd of 19. And did you create a timeline referencing major financial and other events for JJ? I did. And during the break, Your Honor, I took the opportunity to try and get my computer up. So hopefully that's a little more clear for everyone. Um, may I publish Exhibit 113, Your Honor? Yes. Uh, is this the timeline that you created for JJ? Yes, ma'am. When did JJ start receiving Social Security benefits? JJ's benefits started getting paid into Ms. Vallow's account on September 18th of 2019. 
All right, and what account was that? The BBVA 3229 account. And if you know, um, where do the funds come from for Social Security? The passing of his father, Charles Vell. Okay, and who pays the Social Security funds out? Social Security pays those and their direct deposit. Okay. And Social Security comes from? Charles's oh, employment. Sorry. Okay. Um, can you walk me through the timeline for JJ that you created? Yes, ma'am. And I apologize. Some of these charts are going to be repetitive, so some of the information uh, the jury is going to see multiple times. Uh, again, the passing of Charles Vallow and the text message uh, exchanged between Ms. Vallow and Mr. Daybell uh, regarding the $4,000 of Social Security funds. Uh, JJ had uh, a pet or had a dog uh, named Bailey. We found a message dated August 9th of the attempt of sale of Bailey. Uh, again, noting the Miss Vallow's, Miss Vallow's life insurance that was supposed to be 100% to Colby Ryan. Uh, on August 14th of 2019 was again when the application for the rental in Rexburg uh, stated that Miss Vallow was receiving. $5,740 of Social Security funds. The move of her and the children, again, as you stated earlier, the beginning deposits of the Social Security funds for both Lori and JJ into the BBVA account ending 3229. Uh, the approximate passing of JJ, the wedding of 11 five, on 11-5 of 19, and then again the recovery of JJ's remains on June 9th of 20. Okay, thank you. Um, are all of the Social Security benefits paid out after the deaths of Tylee and JJ and associated with those children deposited into that Compass account or BBVA Compass account that you've referenced? Yes, ma'am. All right, I'm going to show you, um, if I may, what's been admitted as State's Exhibit 114. Do you recognize that document? I do. Let me see if I can get it a little bit. Zoom in. <laughs> Okay. Did you prepare this document? I did. And you prepared this document in the course of your work as a forensic accountant? Yes, ma'am. And can you tell the jury what the contents of that document are? So these are reflective of the payments that were paid into uh, Ms. Vallow's BVA Compass account ending 3229. The transactions were labeled as such under those SSA Treasury 310 and then also labeled the TSC Treasury 449. These are payments that were deposited into Ms. Vallow's account after or a month after the passing of the children. And can you just note for the record the dates on those? Yes. 
Tylee's payments, uh, Tylee's payments were different dates than JJ and Miss Vellos. Tylee's payments were October 23rd of 19, November 27th of 19, December 24th of 19, January 22nd of 20. JJ's were October 16th of 19, or November 20 of 19, December 18th of 19, January 15th of 20. And then Miss Vallows were October 16th of 19, November 20th of 19, December 18th of 19, and finally January 15th of 20. And you have mentioned this, but what date were Chad and Lori married? November 5th of 19. And can you tell me how many payments were received into Lori Vallow's Compass account on behalf of Tylee Ryan, Ryan after her death? Four. And what was the amount of the Social Security payment for each month that was received for Tylee Ryan? So in October, October through December of 19, she received 1859 a month. In January of 20, she received 1888 And what's the total amount of those payments? The total being $7,465. Okay. And um, how many monthly payments were there for JJ? Four. And what was the Social Security payment for each month that was received for JJ Vallow? October through December of 19, it was 19.51 a month. And January of 20, it was 19.82. And what was the total amount of those payments? The 78.35. And how many payments did Lori receive for caregiver benefits? She received four. And what was the total amount of those payments? The total amount would be the 39.02 and the 33.43.05. Okay. How many payments did Lori receive after she was married to Chad? Two. And what is the total amount of those payments? The 33.43.05. And what is the total amount of the Social Security payments that Lori Vallow received from October 19, or excuse me, October 2019 until February 2020? That would be the $22,545.05. And that is believed to be after the deaths of JJ and Tylee, correct? Yes, ma'am. And is that on that document? It is. Did you create um, an exhibit that summarizes the social security information and timing of the deaths? I did. Um, may I publish exhibit 115, Your Honor? Yes. Can you walk me through this timeline? Yes, ma'am. Uh, starting again with the passing of Joe Ryan and the receiving of the Social Security benefits by Tylee, uh, June 14th of 18. The opening of Ms. Vallow's BBVA account, October 23rd of 18. The life insurance policy of Joe Ryan, October 26th of 18. And then moving forward to Charles Vallow's passing, July 11th of 19. Uh, regarding Charles's passing, Miss Vallow, Miss Vallow's uh, 
had a Bank of Hawaiian credit card that was used to pay for the services of Mr. Bell on July 12th of 19. The same day, we recovered a phone call between Mr. Day Bell and the mortuary requesting information about services, again, July 12th of 19. Again, on July 18th, the text message of the 4,000 Social Security funds and no life insurance, the final deposit of Social Security funds into Tyler's J.P. Morgan account on July 24th of 19, Ms. Vallis' $2 million life insurance policy being transferred to Colby Ryan as a 100% again. Again, on the rental agreement, or the rental application, sorry, of 5740 Social Security payments. Tyler's... Mr. Douglas, can I just ask you, we talked a little bit about this before, but who pays the Social Security benefits? The Social Security Administration. And where do those funds come from? The employment of the parent or the guardian deceased. And the Social Security Administration is an arm of what agency? Outside the federal government? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And so when the Social Security payments are being deposited into Lori's account, those are being paid from who? As far as the deceased and their prior employment records out of the Social Security Administration. Thank you. And then I think I interrupted you about Tyler's Social Security payments being deposited into Lori's account. Okay. Again, August 28th, this is the initial deposit of Tyler's Social Security funds into Ms. Vallow's 3229 account with BBVA. Again, the move up to Rexburg. This is, again, the text message between Colby Ryan asking Tyler for a Venmo payment. And, again, Tyler texting back saying that she doesn't have the money, that mom gets her money now. It was on this same date that we learned there was an increase to Tammy Daybell's life insurance policy on 9-8. On 9-9, again, the passing of Tyler Ryan. And as I noted earlier, with Tyler's Venmo account, she had one funding source, which was her J.P. Morgan account. On 9-10, per records provided by Venmo, her BBVA account was added as a funding source. On 9-18, as discussed earlier, this is when Ms. Vallow and JJ's Social Security payments start getting deposited into her account. 32-29, again, with the text messages regarding the transfer of funds to Colby. The very next day on 9-23, the belief passing of JJ. And then, as stated, these are dates given to me by law enforcement. The attempted shooting of Ms. Tammy Daybell on October 9th of 2019. As I stated earlier, Tyler's Venmo had activity in Kansas City, Missouri 
on 10-10 with a transfer or a Venmo payment to Colby. The passing of Ms. Daybell, October 19th of 19. Chad and Lori's wedding on 11-5 of 19. We received or found an email from Mr. Daybell to a rental company by the name of Kauai Dreams dated 11-8 asking for information for a clean couple with no pets and no kids. And then on 12-20, this is when the Rexburg Police Department announced their investigation. The first search of Chad Daybell's property took place January 3rd of 20. And again, on 6-9 of 20 was the second search of the property and the remains of the children were found. Now, Mr. Douglas, we've talked about Venmo a couple of times during your review of these exhibits. Did you also prepare an exhibit referencing money being sent from these Venmo accounts? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, may I publish Exhibit 117? Yes, you may. What is Venmo? To put it simple, Venmo is an app that you can put on your phone that would be a person-to-person or a peer-to-peer transfer of funds. It's one that you have to add the funding source, your credit card, your bank account, and then transfer money to somebody else with another Venmo account into their holding and then transfer into their initial bank account or they can make purchases straight from Venmo. All right. And on this exhibit, what are the funding sources for the Venmo activity? So Ms. Vela had two Venmo accounts. And on the top one, at Lori-Vela, there were multiple funding sources, bank accounts or credit cards, as I stated earlier. The initial one starting January of 2019 through, so per the information provided by Venmo, January 4th through January 29th of 19, the J.P. Morgan Chase account ending 0377 was the funding source for that. Then from March 30th to May 5th, this transition to funding source of Ms. Vela's first Hawaiian bank ending 4620 to be transferred and changed to another J.P. Morgan Chase account held by Ms. Vela ending in 0769. And there towards the end, there is one attempt on August 24th to use another J.P. Morgan Chase account or credit card held by Ms. Vela ending in 7213. Okay. Are there other accounts listed on this exhibit? Yes, ma'am. Ms. Vela had a second Venmo account that at Lori-Vela-1 between February 20th of 19 and May 19th of 19. This was active with her BBVA account ending 3229. And then as I've noted on here, Venmo had noted failed attempts of transfers of funds with prior, as they listed, duplicate card attempts, meaning 
another card that was already on the account had been tried to be used again with failed attempts on that. And then Tylee, as I stated before, had her own Venmo account. Her only funding source while she was alive was the J.P. Morgan Chase account ending 3918. And that was active prior to, but this is reflective of January 7th through the use of August 7th. And then, as I stated, her account, her BBVA account ending 5794 was added September 10th, a day after the believed passing of Tylee, and that was used until the end of 2019. What did you learn in tracking payments that were made from Lori's accounts? Lori's two accounts favored Colby or Kelsey Benson, who is Colby's spouse or significant other. Before Colby had an active Venmo account, the payments went to Ms. Benson, and they are more often and larger payments. And what did you learn in tracking payments from Tylee's accounts? Tylee's accounts and her payments included other individuals, her friend, Ms. Kennedy, and McKenna Webb. As you can see depicted on here, there's less payments and by far a lesser amount being transferred. What else stood out to you in compiling this information? So after the believed passing of Tylee, this is when both of Ms. Vallow's accounts cease, and Tylee's account, again, has the new funding source of her BBVA account ending 5794 added, and Colby Ryan being the sole receiver of those funds between the times of September 10th and December 18th, there's a transfer, or 29 transfers totaling $5,940. In your review of finances, were you able to track other occasions when Lori was using Tylee's funds or a debit card? Yes, ma'am. What were they? So as I refer to brick and mortar purchases, there were two purchases at Costa Vida. There was a late payment with the rental company of Blue Sky Property that was made, and also a couple of PayPal purchases that, after research, we found was a transfer of money to, or Colby used that credit card information to buy his birthday present, which ended up being a lightsaber. And in your review of Lori Vallow's finances, did any other purchases stand out to you? Yes, ma'am. What were they? Multiple attempts or purchases of Malachite rings. Have you heard the name Chad Daybell? I have. Have you heard the name Alex Cox? I have. Did you become involved in an investigation regarding those individuals? Yes, ma'am. What were some of your duties or your assignments with regard to that investigation? Those records also were included, as I stated earlier, in my research of the nearly 80 bank accounts and credit cards that I've researched. What did you learn in reviewing Alex Cox's finances? While reviewing Alex Cox's finances, I discovered that he had ended his employment with his prior employer 
and had taken out what ended up being a deposit of $21,000 in a loan that was what the funds that he lived off. Okay. Uh, turning your attention to review of Chad Daybell's financial accounts, are you aware of whether search warrants were obtained for Mr. Daybell's financial accounts? Yes, ma'am. Did you request those search warrants? Not initially, but I did request follow-up ones. Did you review the responsive documents to those search warrants? I did. And did you discuss that with other officers? Yes, ma'am. In your review, did you notice any activity on his accounts um, or others that caught your attention prior to Tammy Daybell's passing with regard to Chad? It was more of what I didn't find on his accounts, yeah. Okay. What was that? So we found regarding Ms. Vallow's credit card statements, uh, flights with regarding Mr. Daybell from Idaho to Arizona. And those credit cards were not in Chad Daybell's name? No, ma'am. Were they associated with any of his accounts that you could tell? No. Um, so who were those accounts associated with? So two of the flights were purchased regarding credit card held by Ms. Vallow and uh, joint account holder Alex Cox. And one flight was used regarding a credit card that was associated with Ms. Vallow and Mr. Vallow. Charles Vallow? Yes, ma'am. Do you know who was making payments on the card that Lori and Alex shared? Primarily it was Alex, but there was one payment by Ms. Vallow. And prior to Tammy's death, did you notice anything in the financial records with regard to purchase of a cell phone? Yes, ma'am. What was that? Uh, regarding Chad Daybell's business account with Spring Creek, there is a purchase dated 918 with 918 of 2019 uh, at the Rexburg Walmart in the amount of $42 and change. Uh, and then we followed up with requests the information of Walmart and discovered that was the purchase of a cell phone. Okay. And what information did you receive from Walmart? They provided a receipt with the date and time. And what date did Lori start receiving the Social Security funds for her and JJ? The same day, September 18th of 2019. Um, what other activity did you review with Chad Daybell's finances before Tammy's death? Uh, the application or the change in the application of her life insurance. Did you create a financial timeline referencing some of this activity? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, may I publish uh, exhibit demonstrative exhibit one sixteen? Yes. Can you walk me through the first part of that timeline? Yes, ma'am. Uh, October 26th of 18 is believed to be the date of uh, where Chad and Lori met at a conference in Utah. Uh, initially, as I discussed earlier, uh, Lori was on a joint account with Mr. Cox, and the purchase of a flight on February 23rd of 19 using Alex Cox's Barclay card was used to purchase Lori's flight from Arizona to Idaho Falls. The March 14th of 2019, Lori's account on that joint account with Alex, or Lori's card 
on that joint account with Alex Cox was used to purchase a flight for Chad to Arizona. Uh, the passing of Charles Vallow, July 11th, again with the Valley of the Mortuary phone call by Mr. Daybell and the purchase of the mortuary or the payment to the mortuary on July 12th of 19. Uh, July 18th, again, with the payment information of the Social Security funds and not receiving the life insurance. Uh, again, Lori's, uh, this time Lori's Bank of, or Bank of Hawaii credit card was used to purchase a flight for Mr. Daybell to Arizona on July 20th of 19. Uh, then this card that she shared with Alex Cox again, Lori, Arizona. July 20th of 19. And then what, um, what is the next date of significance on your timeline? August 2nd of 2019, Lori's card is used to purchase another flight for Chad to Arizona. August 10th of 19, Lori's card is used to purchase a flight for Lori to Idaho Falls. And then the move of her and the children, August 31st. Uh, as I discussed earlier, on 9-8 was the increase of Tammy's life insurance. And then we learned that that was retroactive, that it would have taken play or would have taken effect September 1st. Okay. And you already answered my next question. Um, so Tammy's life insurance increase was requested. I'm sorry. What date was that? September 8th of 19. And that was retroactive to what date? September 1st of 19. And do you recall what date Tammy passed away? Uh, October 19th of 2019. After Tammy passed away, were you able to discern or tell from the financial records who was paying for Chad and Lori's expenses and activities? Uh, both of them were making purchases, and but by far the larger purchases were paid for by Chad Daybell. And after Tammy passed away, was there any other activity that you noticed in the Daybell accounts that caught your attention? Uh, this family trip to Knott's Berry Farms. And did you reference uh, this activity on this timeline? I did. Do you, is the laser pointer still? Yeah. Okay. Can you just reference it on the timeline? Right here. And could you tell from the financial documents who paid for that trip? Chad Daybell. All right. And in between um, the time of Tammy's increase, which we talked about, and um, the trip to Knott's Berry Farm, are there any other uh, financial events of significance on your timeline that we've not gone over yet? Uh, the deposits of the two life insurance Payments from or deposit into Mr. Bell's or Mr. Daybell's accounts. Okay, and was there anything else that Chad had done regarding finances that caught your attention in October? Uh, the deposit of the or sorry, he Chad filed with Primerica Life Insurance the life insurance claim October twenty fourth of nineteen. 
and files with LifeMap Insurance October 30th of 19. All right. Did he start a refinance on his home at some point? Yes, ma'am. Mr. Ballo, or sorry, Mr. Daybell had attempted to refinance his house October 8th of 2019. Okay. And did you also review a Mountain America account associated with Chad Daybell? Yes, ma'am. When did Chad receive the insurance payments for Tammy's death? The initial he received November 1st, or was deposited into his account November 1st of 2019, and the second was deposited into his account November 16th of 2019. And I know we covered this earlier, but what date were Chad and Lori married? November 5th of 19. Did you, I think that we may have also mentioned this, but did you review any other records that were made in reference to the marriage or living in Hawaii? Regarding the Kauai Dreams? Yes. Yes, ma'am. The email to Kauai Dreams on November 8th of 2019 saying clean couple, no pets, no kids. Did you notice any activity that caught your attention with regard to Mr. Daybell's accounts around June 9th of 2020? Yes, ma'am. During the search of the property, approximately between 9.50 to 10 o'clock in the morning, there are three transfers from Mr. Daybell's Mountain America Credit Union account to his three older children in the value of $8,000 each. Okay. And I'm sorry, you said what time those transfers were made, but can you say that again? It was between 9.50 and 10 a.m. Okay. Do you know if anything else happened around June 9th of 2020? That's when the remains of the children were found on the property. And what time did law enforcement arrive on the Daybell property? I believe 7 a.m. Okay. How long did officers remain on the Daybell property searching on June 9th, 2020? I believe until about 5 p.m. So those transfers would have occurred as officers were searching? Yes, ma'am. And do you recall, I think you might have mentioned this, I'm sorry, what was the amount on the transfers that were made to the three older children? $8,000 each. And do you recall after that $24,000 had been transferred, how much money was left in that account? There's a little over $4,400 left. Your Honor, may I have just a brief moment to confer? Yes. Mr. Douglas, if you know, on that Knott's Ferry farm trip, do you recall who was involved in going to that trip? So there were seven tickets purchased, Mr. Daybell, five of his children, and Ms. Vallow. I don't believe I have any other questions, Your Honor. All right. Thank you, Ms. Rawlings. Cross-examination. May I have just a moment? Yes.
Your Honor, I don't have any questions for Officer Douglas. All right, that will conclude your testimony today then. Thank you for appearing. Is this witness going to be recalled or can they be excused? Your Honor, we may need him at a later date, so we would just ask that he be available under subpoena. Okay, I'll have you notify him of that and we won't formally excuse him at this time then. So, let's have our next witness called. Your Honor, may we approach? Yes. Okay, we are back on the record. We had a brief sidebar just about scheduling today. Things moved a little quicker, I think, than may have been anticipated this morning with witnesses. So, in order to more efficiently have witness appearances throughout the rest of the day, we're going to break a little early for lunch today and plan on coming back hopefully around 1230 to start back up with further evidence. So, we'll break for lunch at this time. All rise, please. Thank you. Thank you. I think we've got the jurors close to being lined up to brought in, so we can just remain standing until they're ready to file in. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bailiff. Please be seated. We're back on the record on CR 22-211624, State v. Lori Noreen Vallo. The State was preparing to call another witness. We just finished the lunch recess. I'll note the jurors are all present and accounted for. Counsel for the State and defense as well, and the defendant is present. Is the State prepared to call another witness? Yes, Your Honor. All right. You can call your next witness. The State will call Scott Cowden. And, Judge, I believe they are just bringing him up right now, so it may be just a minute. All right. How do you spell his last name? C-O-W-D-E-N. 
Thank you. All right, before we commence with testimony, I'll just inquire of the witness. Have you reviewed or been uh, viewing any part of the trial or the testimony of any other witnesses while this case has been going? No, sir. Okay, thank you for that. <clears throat> I'll also note if you'd please make sure to answer all questions verbally with a yes or no response and then try to not talk at the same time as anyone that's questioning you so that the record stays clear. And with that in mind, Ms. Blake, you can inquire. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Kem, where are you currently employed? I work for the Chandler Fire Department in Chandler, Arizona. And I guess for the record, we'll have you state your full name. I forgot to do that. Okay, yes, my name is Scott Cowden. How long have you been employed with the fire department? Um, almost 24 years. And what is your specific title or role uh, in association with the fire department? I'm a fire engineer, uh, which means you drive the apparatus. Um, still a firefighter, and then also a paramedic. And do you have training in order to be a paramedic? Uh, yes, I started out as an EMT, and I went to paramedic school and graduated in 2007. Do you also uh, teach courses on CPR? I used to be a CPR instructor for about 12 years, teaching those courses, yes. Were you working with the fire department on July 11th of 2019? 
Yes, I was. Do you recall being dispatched out to the report of a shooting victim? Yes. And, Your Honor, I'm uh, going to object uh, just to make sure on the record that uh, our 404B objection is, is still noted. Uh, my client's not under trial here for anything that happened in Arizona, so we object for relevance. All right. I've considered that objection. The Court's previously taken that issue up on a ruling that was made in February. For the reasons I incorporated into that ruling and for uh, under 404B, the Court does determine that this evidence can be presented with an appropriate limiting instruction. So, uh, Ms. Blake, that limiting instruction has already been provided to the jury and will be provided again at the time of deliberations. For that reason, the objection is overruled. Thank you, Your Honor. When you respond out, or I guess let me back up, when you responded out on July 11th, where initially did you respond to? Uh, we responded to a residential house for a gunshot wound or gunshot victim. Did you enter the residence when you initially responded? Uh, yes. And when you entered the residence, did you locate the individual that had been shot? Yes. What did you observe regarding that individual? Uh, we were led into the house by a Chandler police officer. They were on scene before us. And uh, when you went into that front door, that entry room is where we found Charles laying on the ground, on the floor, on his back, uh, and he appeared to be unconscious as you approached him. And when you say Charles, did you learn his last name? Uh, Charles Vallow, we did. Learn, um, my captain on the crew was documenting the call. He would have been communicating with the Chandler officers who were communicating with uh, other individuals on the scene that would be able to supply that information. And you eventually learned his identity as well? Yes. And you said he appeared to be unconscious. Did you get closer to Mr. Vallow? Uh, yes, I would have been the first one to actually make it to Charles. Um, so then you're going to go through that process of um, kind of doing your assessment and evaluation of him. And when you were doing the assessment and evaluation, did you notice any injuries on his person? Uh, yes, there was some blood on his shirt. Um, I had to lift up his shirt so I could find the proper landmarks to be able to perform CPR while checking for his level of responsiveness, breathing, things like that. And he had uh, two gunshot wounds. And had you seen gunshot wounds before? Yes. And those were consistent with other gunshot wounds that you'd seen? Yes. And when you say that you um, pulled up a shirt or removed the shirt to perform CPR, did you in fact perform CPR on Mr. Vallow? Yes, I did. Did you make any observations as you were performing CPR? Uh, yes. So based on my experience, um, both as a, a first responder, firefighter, and a paramedic, and also a CPR instructor, um, you have certain landmarks that you're looking for. And we were led to believe that CPR had been started prior to our arrival, um, communicating with dispatch and route to the scene, um, monitoring that radio channel. We were led to believe that the caller, the shooter, had started CPR. And so when that happens, if the person is doing CPR and they're doing it effectively in the right place, um, it's quite common to where you can sustain injuries to the chest. Um, you have to be forceful enough that you're actually going to compress the heart to be able to pump the blood 
to the body, trying to keep them alive and buy some time for help to arrive. Um, and so typically when that happens, an impression would be left in the area of their sternum, the lower part of their chest, where the hands would have been doing the compressions. And then I, I didn't see that initially. Um, I started my compressions, and I felt what I would describe as like a, a crunch or a crack. Um, again, when you're doing it forcefully enough to be effective, you can have injuries occur to the sternum or a broken rib. They could displace from the sternum or they're connected on that chest wall. And so you can feel that occur typically in that first compression or first couple compressions. And I did feel that. And in your training and experience, if someone had been performing CPR, would you have expected to feel that crack or that crunch? I would not have expected to experience that and feel that had they been doing CPR and doing it effectively. And would you have expected to see some kind of an impression had someone been performing CPR? Yes, and then in fact, uh, when it became appropriate time for me to uh, stop doing CPR because my colleagues were further exposing Charles, putting a heart monitor on him so we could see if he had any activity with his heart. Um, so I had to stop compression so we could look at that, and I could see the impression that I created and made now. Have you performed CPR before on individuals that have some kind of an injury to their body that could result in bleeding? Yes. And when you were done performing CPR, did you have blood located on your hands or your gloves? Yes. Would you have expected to see that if someone had been performing CPR before you arrived on their hands? Yes. If I may have just one moment. Yes. I have no further questions, Your Honor. All right, thank you, Ms. Blake. Uh, Cross-examination. Your Honor, since we've previously objected to the entirety of this testimony, uh, we don't have any questions. All right, that'll conclude the testimony of this witness then. Thank you for appearing and testifying today. Is there any objection to this witness being excused? No, Your Honor, and we would ask that he be excused at this time. All right, any objection to us being excused? No objection. Okay, you can be excused then, and we'll uh, allow the state to call another witness. Your Honor, the state will call Detective Werther. How do you spell that last name? W-E-R-T-H-E-R. -E -E Thank you. Before we proceed with testimony, I'll just inquire as to the witness. Have you 
reviewed or seen any of the trial testimony in this case before you came here to testify today? I have not. All right. Thank you for that response. And then I'll just advise you to please answer all questions verbally so we can keep a clear court record and try to avoid talking at the same time as anyone questioning you. With those rules in mind, Ms. Blake, you can commence with your direct examination. Thank you, Your Honor. Would you please state your name and spell your first and last name for the record? My name is Ariel Werther. That's A-R-I-E-L, last name W-E-R-T-H-E-R. Where are you currently employed? I work for the Chandler Police Department, and I'm assigned to the Robbery Homicide Unit. What is your current title? Detective. How long have you held that position? As a detective since 2016, but with the Robbery Homicide Unit since 2020. Do you have prior experience as a law enforcement officer before becoming a detective? Yes, I was a patrol officer for the City of Chandler. All my employment has been with the City of Chandler. Do you have any specialized training in order to be a peace officer? Yes, I attended the Arizona Law Enforcement Academy in Phoenix, Arizona, where I was provided training in order to become a police officer. And then once I graduated from the academy, if I recall, it was a 16 or an 18 week. It's been quite a while. Then I went on the road for a thing called field training, where you are assigned an officer who's been identified as a trainer to teach you how to do the job on the road. Completed my field training, and then I've had advanced ongoing training ever since then. And did you, Your Honor, I'm going to ask that the court be handed States Exhibit 43. For the record, these are, it consists of seven pages. They are print out from a PowerPoint. Defense counsel was provided a copy as well just before we started court this afternoon. And counsel, could I just have a brief sidebar, please? Yes.
All right, Madam Prosecutor, before we uh, proceed again, I'll just note we had a brief sidebar regarding the previous rulings the courts made in this case uh, before trial. I did want to just reiterate, since it was some time before I had this instruction, uh, so ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you've previously been advised that certain evidence may be admitted for a limited purpose. This evidence may be admissible for a purpose such as proving a motive, opportunity, intent, preparation, plan, knowledge, identity, absence of mistake, or lack of accident. However, such evidence is not admissible to prove a person's character in order to show that on a particular occasion the person acted in accordance with the character. You will be further instructed on this point in an instruction that will be provided to you during your deliberations. So with that, Ms. Blake, you had uh, started offering on an exhibit, and if you want to pick up there again, we can continue with your direct. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, I would ask that the witness be shown that exhibit. And Your Honor, just so the, the record's clear, I continue my objection for what happened in Chandler, Arizona under 404B. All right. I've noted your objection, Mr. Archibald, and at this time the objection is overruled. Uh, Detective Werther, could you look at that, uh, the exhibit you've just been handed? Do you recognize the images uh, shown on those papers? I do. And do you, did you, in fact, create those through a PowerPoint presentation? I did. Did you create those based on information that you had obtained? Yes, I did. Do you believe that um, those slides would be effective in assisting you today with your testimony? I do. Your Honor, I would ask for the admission of State's Exhibit 43. Any objection? Same objection, Your Honor. Very well. Uh, considered that, and based on the court's previous ruling, the objections overruled, and that exhibit is admitted. Thank you, Your Honor. Detective Werther, were you working on July 11th of 2019? I was. Do you recall responding out to the report of a shooting? I do. When you responded out, were you given any specific assignment initially? I had no specific assignment for context. At the time, I was actually assigned as a detective in the uh, Special Victims Unit, primarily investigating sex crimes. But as a matter of succession planning, it was known to everyone that I wanted to come to the Robbery Homicide Unit. So at times on calls, and this was one of them, I would respond out to essentially shadow and assist with minor tasks, but I was not given primary responsibilities as I was not on the team. But you were there on scene on July 11th? I was. And then the following day, did you have a conversation with another detective? I did. And who was that? Uh, detective Moffat. At that time, uh, based on your conversation, were you assigned a specific task? I was. And what was that? The task was um, to call Ms. Vallow uh, as no one had 
as I understood it, obtained um, documentation information for her son, J.J., um, Joshua Jackson Vallow. Uh, as he wasn't present at the scene during the initial investigation, it seemed no one had gathered his name, date of birth, or any of that information. And did you, in fact, do that? I did. And when you made contact with Ms. Vallow, did she provide any information to you? Yes, I called her on the phone, and um, during our recorded call, she provided uh, his basic information to be put in the report, which is fairly standard, as he was said to have been present during the incident. And then uh, we talked about the school to which she had allegedly taken him after the shooting occurred, and she gave me the information for a Lawrence Life Academy, and I later looked up where that was. And she also um, told me that between leaving the scene of the shooting and going to Lauren's Life Academy, she had gone to a Burger King to get JJ food. And after you had spoken with Ms. Vallow, did you end up taking on any additional tasks in regards to an investigation? Yes, the next task that uh, I was given was to actually locate video from the Burger King showing um, at what time she visited the Burger King. And did you, in fact, do that? I did. And were you able to determine what time she had gone to the Burger King? Yes. On uh, on that same day, I was able to go. And one of my practices, which I adhered to in this case, is when I'm looking at video evidence, I will ask to see the live view first and see what the timestamp on the live view shows and compare it to the timestamp on my phone in order to show that the time is relatively reliable, which I did in this case. The times matched. Then I was able to see video from the 11th and establish what time um, she and her vehicle passed through the drive-thru. And were you aware of what time, or are you aware of what time the initial 911 call was placed regarding that shooting? The initial 911 call was placed at 8.36 in the morning, if I'm remembering correctly. So it would have been after Ms. Fowler was at the Burger King? Well, yes, so um, what I found on the video is uh, the video evidence showed that her vehicle and also captured her image through the drive through window, that that visit was at 7.55 in the morning, 7.54 or 7.55 in the morning. And, Your Honor, I would ask uh, permission to publish the State's Exhibit 43. You may publish it. Oh. It's going to be actually on a PowerPoint presentation. And I do have a copy. It's the same slides that the court saw. I do have a copy of a jump drive marked that we will submit into evidence as well. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. That will be the formal exhibit that will be admitted into the case. And in looking at the image on the screen, I'm not sure if it appears on that screen in front of you as well. It does. Um, is that, what are we seeing on this screen? So these are a few locations in Chandler, Arizona, and also in Gilbert, Arizona. The direction indicated in the lower right-hand uh, side of your screen, if you're facing it, shows north to be towards the top of the screen, and there's a mile marker indicating five miles for scale to give an approximate idea of the relationship of things. Uh, this is sourced from Google Earth Pro, um, and the locations that I have marked on here using Google Earth Pro uh, from the bottom of the screen up are 5531 South Four Peaks Place, the scene of the shooting, the Burger King, 
and the Lauren's Life Academy where JJ was uh, dropped off. And then another um, location we'll speak of in a moment and which I neglected to put here on the page, but uh, just above and one street over to the west from Lauren's Life Academy, we will talk about a Walgreens location, which is on a slide that will come up shortly. And, Your Honor, may I ask that uh, the detective be provided with a pointer to just show us that location? Yes, we'll give him the laser pointer. Oh, thought that was a pen. <laughs> Thank you. If you just want to show us on there the uh, area you were just describing. Right, right there <laughs> is a, um, there's a Walgreens at that location. And, again, I have a detail that shows it um, later on in the sequence. And this in these are the locations that were provided to you by Ms. Vallow? Yes and no. The Walgreens is not something we discussed, and um, I'm not certain if she specified that Burger King to me, but that is the Burger King that I went to where I found the video. And then if you look at the slide that's being shown right now, uh, could you explain what we're seeing here? Yes, this is a detail for more context. Again, north towards the top of the screen, we're now at a scale that has a one-mile indicator, and this shows 5531 South Four Peaks, and then about um, two streets, two major streets north of there on the uh, west side is where the Burger King is located at 2865 East Ocotillo Road in Chandler. And you indicated that uh, the Burger King video showed her there around 7.54, 7.55 a.m.? That's right. I also obtained a receipt, which was timestamped 7.56 for the actual purchase. And she had indicated to you she had taken J.J. to Lauren's Academy? Correct. Did you do anything as part of your investigation to try to determine how long it would take to get from the residence where Charles was shot to the to JJ school. Yes. And what did you learn, or what did you do to determine that? Again, using data sourced uh, from Google, I evaluated the most direct route as Google provided it, which comes in somewhere between seven and eight miles from 5531 South Four, Four Peaks to Lawrence Academy. I was aware that the 911 call came in at 8.36. I was aware the first officer was on scene from body-worn camera that I had reviewed and from the CAD record that he was on scene at 8.42. And I was aware that he had captured Ms. Vallow on recording at 8.48, back at the scene at 5531 South Four Peaks. One of the things we discussed is it didn't seem... Um, plausible that a person could drive that distance and back in the amount of time from the 911 call to when she first appeared on body-worn video. And when you say that um, you had discussed, do you recall who you discussed that with? I know I discussed it with Detective Moffat. I may have discussed it with other members of the team as well. And is that pretty common that you will discuss investigations as a team? Yes, so that we're sharing ideas and trying to determine the best way to proceed and so that people aren't going off in one direction without everyone else knowing what's going on. It's the best way to proceed. And after you'd gone to Burger King and verified that video, did you do anything further with trying to verify locations? Yes. Um, I did on that same day, I believe, um, which was the Friday, the day after the shooting, I went and visited multiple CVS uh, locations I had been 
told that another detective had information that Ms. Vallow may have stopped at a CVS or a Walgreens, and I think it was originally communicated as a CVS in order to buy flip-flops for the children who had apparently left the house without shoes. I went to, I think, six or seven locations trying to find video and did not find video on that day. Are you aware if at any point video was recovered of Ms. Vallow at a CVS or at Walgreens, excuse me? Yes, because I did eventually recover it. It was based on um, the location data, however, which we haven't discussed yet. So leading into that, other location data, are you, did you review data from Charles Vallow's phone? I did. And is Charles Vallow's phone in possession of the Chandler Police Department? Last I knew, yes. And was... Uh, do you know where that phone was recovered from? I understand that another detective recovered it from Ms. Vallow after the event. Were you tasked with looking at location data linked to that phone? I was. And did you, in fact, review that data? I did. What did you discover from your review of that data? So if we advance to the next slide, this here is 5531 South Four Peaks Place with the north indicator again and a scale for reference. What I've added on here notations with the about symbol, for me that stands in for approximately, I'm saying at approximately 732, what I'm calling CV phone, which is Charles Vallow's phone, arrives in the area of 5531 South Four Peaks. Now the location data that we're de deriving this from is data that was stored physically on the phone and then extracted by the computer crimes unit and provided to me. This data from the phone indicates that at about 732 the phone was in the area of the Four Peaks Place address and at about 749 the phone left that area. And then the next slide. This is the Burger King at 2865 East Ocotillo Road, again with the north indicator, although I seem to have cropped it out just slightly. This shows that at about 754, LV, which is Lori Vallow in my notation, is on video in the drive-through. That's the video that I obtained and that I reviewed and placed into evidence. Around 755, there's location data from Charles Vallow's phone in that area. Around 756, Lori Vallow is on video leaving the drive-through. And at 7.56, Charles Vallow's phone location data also leaves the area. This is that Walgreens I talked about. So if you recall on the first slide I showed, this is the one that was a half block north and one block west of the Lawrence Life Academy approximately. This shows that at about 8.15 in the morning, Lori Vallow is on video at this Walgreens. Now, the way I found out about this was by reviewing the location data, noticing that there was a Walgreens there, calling the manager, asking if a person fitting her general description, although I did not provide her name or the reason for my inquiry, only that I was a police detective calling to ask. I asked if such a person came in and perhaps purchased some flip-flops. She located the data, provided it to me, and then the video was placed in evidence. So having reviewed that video, I see that at around 8.15, she is on video entering and making that purchase. I also obtained a receipt for that. And it also at around 8.15, Charles Vallow's phone location data indicates that the phone was in that area. At around 8.20, the video at the Walgreens loses sight of Ms. Vallow as she leaves. And if we go to the next slide, uh, what are we seeing here? 
This here indicates that around 8.32, Charles Vallow's phone is in the area of the Lawrence Life Academy, which Ms. Vallow had previously stated she had gone and dropped JJ off at that location after the shooting. And I think, yep. And then if we go to, oh, there it is. So here we have, uh, there is a typographical error. That's my error. That says 736, that should say 836. There's a 911 call reporting the shooting. The reason that's relevant is we were just at 832 at the Lawrence Life Academy, indicating that the phone was in that area. But the 911 call does not come in until 836 in the morning. 842, as I previously, previously stated, the first officer arrives at the scene. Around 847 is the first location data from Charles Vallow's phone, indicating it's back in that area. And at 848 on the body-worn camera video timestamp, Lori Vallow appears on that officer's video. And in looking at the location data with Charles' phone, did you learn who had Charles' phone in their possession? Not from the location data, but I had been advised by other detectives that um, the information... And I'll object, what, Your Honor, to hearsay. I'll sustain that. You had responded to the scene on July 11th, correct? Correct. When you got to the scene, did you ever observe Charles Vallow? I did. And where was Charles Vallow observed? Uh, Charles Vallow was in the first room when one enters into the home, and he was laying on the floor, and he was deceased. Did Charles Vallow have his phone with him? I never saw his phone. Did you learn through your investigation whether his phone was recovered on his body? Uh, I learned that it was not. If I may have just a moment, Your Honor. And I don't have any further questions, Your Honor. All right. Thank you, Ms. Blake. Cross-examination, counsel. Detective, do you have information as to who made that 911 call? It's my understanding, although I never had contact with them, that the 911 call was made by Alex Cox. And did you speak to Alex Cox? At no point. Uh, when you arrived at the scene, uh, there were other officers talking to Alex Cox? Yes, I believe so. Uh, and in your investigation... Uh, you're not one of the officers who talked to him? That's right. I did not interview him. And uh, with the Charles Vallow phone, um, that it was that the phone itself was, was going to Burger King and to Lauren's Life Academy and to uh, Walgreens, is that right? That's right. 
And and who else was in the car with uh, Lori Ballow? I can't know for certain. I know on the video at the Burger King that there was someone in the front passenger seat. It wasn't someone I recognized. And I couldn't tell if anyone was in the back seats of the vehicle. But would that have been Tylee Ryan that you learned that she was in the car and, and at that time? I was told that both of the children were in the vehicle, but I never uh, directly verified that. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Any redirect? No, Your Honor. And we would ask that this witness be excused. All right. Any objection to excusing this witness? No. Very well. Uh, Detective, you can be excused. Thank you for coming and testifying today. Thank you. State can call its next witness. Your Honor, the state will call Detective Inclan. That's Y N C L A N. Thank you. Your Honor, I think they're bringing the next witness up. While we're waiting, I did want to clarify with the court that Exhibit 43 was admitted. It was admitted, and it will just be the uh, file on the jump drive for the jurors. Thank you, Your Honor.
solemnly swear or affirm that this testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Before you start on your direct counsel, let me just inquire as of the witness, have you reviewed any of the trial testimony in this case, watched it or listened to it online or anywhere else? I have not, no. Okay, thank you for that representation. I'll also advise you to please, for our record in the case, make verbal responses to any questions and try to avoid speaking at the same time as anyone that's questioning you. So with those rules in mind, Ms. Blake, if you'd like to inquire on direct, you may. Thank you, Your Honor. Would you please state your full name? My name is Cassandra Inclon. Where are you currently employed? I am a detective with the Chandler Police Department in Arizona. How long have you been employed with them? This month is 22 years. What is your current position? I'm a detective assigned to our robbery homicide unit, and I have been there in that unit since 2009. And prior to that, did you hold other positions? I did. And what were those? So I initially started as a patrol officer, worked primarily weekend graveyards, moved to what was our general investigations unit at the time as a detective out of patrol. That unit morphed into our family violence unit, stayed in that unit for about two years. I then moved into our narcotics and organized crime unit as a detective. I worked there for about five years and then moved over to our homicide unit, and I have been there since. Do you have any specialized training in order to be a law enforcement officer? So in Arizona, we are post-certified in the state, so it's a state certification. You have to attend an academy. I attended the Arizona Law Enforcement Academy, which is run by Phoenix PD. It's a conglomeration of a lot of different departments that use that academy. You get approximately 480, 500 hours of training in that academy, which once upon graduation, you get a post-certificate to be a peace officer in Arizona. And then subsequent to that, you go through a field training program at your agency. Do you recall if you were working on July 11th of 2019? I was. Do you recall responding to the report of a shooting? I do. Do you know approximately what time the call came in? Your Honor, I'm going to object. I'm sorry to keep lodging the same objection, but just to clarify the record, I've previously objected to this witness under 404B, Idaho Rules of Evidence. All right. I appreciate you making the record, Mr. Archibald. Certainly there's a right to do that. It doesn't disturb the court whatsoever if you make a continuing objection, nor should it disturb the jurors if you continue to object. The court has previously made a ruling on this for the reasons that I stated in that ruling and incorporate into this determination to overrule the objection. This evidence pursuant to 404B will be allowed to be presented by the state with a limiting instruction that will be further provided in deliberations. So with that, Ms. Blake, you can continue with your direct and the objections overruled. Thank you, Your Honor. Do you recall approximately when that call came in? It was about 8.30, 8.45 in the morning. 
Did you respond out at that time? I did. Do you recall where you responded? So I responded to the residents on Four Peaks. Um, at the time that I arrived, patrol had already established um, a secure area for investigations. Um, once I responded there, then additional investigative staff detectives were responding. Um, and then we did some uh, basically task or job assignments. And is that common practice to have uh, some detectives assign different tasks? It is. And when you arrived, at some point did you observe Lori Vallow? I did. Was she there when you arrived? I don't know if she was initially there. Um, at one point while I was outside the residence, I realized that she was standing near a vehicle with one of the patrol officers. At some point, did you end up making contact with Ms. Vallow? I did. And how did that come about? Uh, initially, I walked over and had contact uh, with her and her daughter, um, and I was moving them over to um, what we refer to as our care unit. Um, it's a crisis response that is run through our fire department. Um, they can come out and provide various different services. So I was moving them over to their van. Um, it's summer. It's hot. Um, and moving them a little bit further away from the interior scene of the larger scene that we had. And when you were moving them kind of away over to the CARES unit, had you become aware of Ms. Fallow's connection to the shooting victim? Yes. And what did you learn that connection was? I learned that Ms. Vallow was the wife of the victim and the sister of the other involved party. And when you say the other involved party, was that the individual uh, reported to have been the shooter? Correct. And did you learn his identity? Uh, that was Alex Cox. After uh, assisting Ms. Fallow in getting moved over to the CARES unit area, were you present when a notification was made to her? I was. And what was the notification about? Uh, one of the responsibilities of detectives in our unit is to conduct um, death notifications to either the legal next of kin or uh, appropriate involved parties. Um, at that time, my sergeant and I decided to... Um, provide an official death notification to Lori Vallow in reference to Charles. And you were present when that notification was provided? I was. Do you recall what Ms. Vallow's reaction was? I do. And what was that? She didn't have much of a reaction. Um, when she was informed that uh, Charles was deceased, she had responded that she already knew. Um, and made statements that she was present uh, when it had happened, which was new information to detectives, um, and didn't really appear to have much of a reaction. And had you made any observations about Ms. Vallow's presence or behavior uh, prior to the death notification? Yes. And what were those observations? Um, at the time that I initially saw her and while I was in front of the residence, uh, she was standing with her daughter near what we later found out was um, Charles's rental car um, in proximity with a patrol officer. Um, 
she appeared calm, um, very non-emotional, uh, was kind of hanging out and seemed to be just having kind of some general conversation, not really upset, just kind of at one point she was laughing, um, just kind of was standing around. And this was prior to being notified of the death of Charles? Correct. Um, that was prior to me moving her over towards the van. In, at some point, were you assigned some additional roles? I was. Investigation? I was. What were the, what was your next assignment? Um, Detective Moffitt was assigned as the case agent, um, which is typical for how we conduct investigations. And I was assigned to do um, follow-up or more extensive interviews with Lori Vallow and Tylee Ryan. And was that in part based on the information Ms. Vallow provided about being present? Correct. Did you complete the interview there on scene? No. Uh, where did you complete the interview? Uh, the Lori Vallow and Tylee Ryan were transported by me um, back to our police station and the interviews were conducted in what we refer to as our FAC, which is our Family Advocacy Center. Um, it has um, particular interview rooms set up for um, victims and witnesses of crime. And you said you transported both Lori Vallow and Tylee Ryan there? I did. Did Ms. Vallow make any statements while you were transporting her? Statements? Um, I guess let me ask it this way. Was there any conversation uh, while you were driving Ms. Vallow and Tylee Ryan to be interviewed? Yes, there was conversation. Not specific to the event, though. And is it typical that you do not discuss the event on the drive? Yes, we try not to have any discussion. The intention is to, um, one, conduct an interview in an interview room so it can be recorded and monitored. Also is we typically try um, under best practice to interview potential witnesses or victims separate from each other. Um, so I didn't want to talk to um, Lori and Tylee together. I wanted to talk to them separately. Did you make observations about Ms. Vallow's behavior uh, on the drive to the FAC? I did. And what were those observations? Uh, similar to what I had seen earlier, um, she was calm, um, unemotional, I would say, not upset. Uh, the conversation revolved around Tylee and her school and kind of Tylee's future plans. Um, she was almost nonchalant about uh, the conversation. When you arrived at the FAC, did you in fact conduct an interview with Ms. Vallow? I did. Do you remember approximately what time of day you would have conducted that interview? Uh, I think it was about 10, 10.30 in the morning um, before lunch um, within a couple hours of the incident happening. Did Ms. Fallow, in fact, participate in the interview with you? She did. 
And what do you recall if she told you anything regarding how she came to live at the residence where you'd responded? Yes. And what did she tell you? Uh, she had indicated that they had lived at the residence for just a few weeks, um, that Charles had rented the house um, where they were resi residing, and that, that they were separated um, and that she was living at the house uh, with Tylee and J.J. Did she indicate anything regard? Um, she indicated they were separated. Did she indicate anything else regarding her relationship with Charles that you recall? Uh, she had discussed at one point that um, that he had gone back to Texas, to Houston, and that at one point that she had ended up going back out there. Um, the way she described it is almost like a reconciliation um, for the family, and that uh, she had come back to Arizona and that that house has, had rented because she was going to stay in Arizona. Um, at one point in the interview she described, um, at one point Charles had taken JJ back to Houston uh, with him and described allowing that to happen um, and then coming back to the rental in Arizona. And when she talked about Charles having JJ and that she'd allowed it, had she indicated anything additionally regarding JJ's care? Yes. And what was that? Uh, she discussed um, JJ's special needs care. Um, we discussed he had a particular school in Arizona, um, his services plan, and just kind of all that that entails um, to provide care for him. Um, she had discussed that when Charles took J.J. back to Houston that he didn't have any of those services and have that support. Um, and she uh, made reference to letting him take J.J. because he was basically going to figure out how hard it was to take care of him. Um, and then she discussed when she went back to Houston how she went back for that reconciliation even though he didn't have any care and didn't have those services set up and things like that and just discussed how difficult that was and how hard that was to be able to have that all those things in place for him for his care. And so she had indicated that Charles would realize how hard it was to care for JJ? Correct. Do you recall if Ms. Fallow indicated anything regarding her knowledge as to whether Charles was going to be arriving in Arizona on the 11th? Yes. And what did she indicate? She had indicated that uh, he had contacted her, called her, and said that he was coming into town. Um, she had offered to book him a hotel room because he wasn't going to stay at the house with them and that they had arranged that morning that Charles would pick J.J. up at the house and take J.J. to school. And I guess to back up just a little bit, you indicated she'd mentioned that she had gone to Houston to be with Charles. Correct. Did she indicate to you why she was then in Arizona? That she had left and come back to Arizona, and her description is that um, they were separated, that the 
marriage was ending. So she knew that Charles was going to be in town, and was he, do you know, or do you recall if she indicated when he was going to arrive in Arizona? She had said that he was coming into town on Wednesday, um, and that she had offered, like I said, to book him a hotel, um, and that Thursday morning he could come pick JJ up, I think she indicated at 7.30, and take JJ to school. And when you talk about that Wednesday, would that have been July 10th? That was the day before, correct. And when you say the day before, are you referring, what are you referring to? The day before the shooting. And that was also, would have been the day before you were interviewing Ms. Vallow? Correct. What did she tell you regarding, or did she tell you anything regarding whether or not Charles had arrived to pick JJ up? Yes. What did she tell you with regards to that? Uh, she indicated that uh, he arrived at the house. Um, I believe that she said he was a couple minutes late and that she had J.J. ready to go with his backpack and things like that, um, that uh, she described J.J. as being uh, reluctant uh, to go with Charles initially and that they had uh, gotten J.J. out and settled to, to leave for school, um, she describes being in the house and that uh, Charles had left his phone inside the house and that he came back into the house with J.J. outside to retrieve his phone. So Charles came back in the residence without J.J.? Correct. Did she indicate to you who else was at the residence that morning? Uh, through the interview, she had identified everybody else that was present at the house. Who did she indicate was present at the house? Uh, Tylee was home, and then she indicated that her brother, Alex, had spent the night the night before um, at her request. And did she tell you why she had requested Alex stay the night? She indicated that she had asked her brother to spend the night because Charles was coming into town, and that she wanted her brother there. And she said um, Charles had left his phone in the house and came back to get it. Is that correct? Correct. What did she tell you happened? Well, let me back up. Did she tell you who had the phone when Charles came back in? Yes. And who was that? Uh, she had the phone when he came back in the house. Did she tell you what happened at that point? She did. And what was that? She indicated that he became very upset when he saw that she had the phone, um, that uh, she made statements to him about messages on the phone, and that he was extremely angry and wanted the phone back. And she began to move around. Um, she described being in the kitchen. Uh, she moving around to basically keep the phone while this argument started. So she indicated that she kept the phone in her possession. Correct. And it was Charles' phone. Correct. As she was moving around the house, did she indicate anything else happened? Yes. And what was that? Uh, she indicated that at one point, um, Tylee was in her Tylee was in Tylee's room, and that she, Tylee came out of the room um, in possession of a bat, and that her brother at one point 
came out um, and was observing this situation unfolding. And she indicated Tylee came out with a bat. Do you recall if she indicated anything happened with Tylee and the bat? Yes. And what was that? She described uh, Tylee basically prodding at Charles. Um, they were in, uh, Lori and Tylee were in very close proximity of each other in kind of the beginning of a hallway. Um, and she describes Tylee almost like prodding at Charles and uh, almost in defense of Lori, and that uh, Charles ultimately ended up uh, physically taking the bat from Tylee. And did she indicate what happened after Charles took the bat from Tylee? She did. What was that? Uh, she described uh, Charles as being um, extremely angry, and at one point uh, her brother interceded, um, coming up behind Charles and basically grabbing him around and pulling him backwards, and she described a physical altercation beginning between Alex and Charles. Did she indicate whether or not there was any exchange of words? She indicated that they were fighting, and um, but not specifically as to what they were saying. Did she indicate whether or not anyone was injured in that struggle between, or the fight between Charles and Alex at that time? Uh, I don't recall. After she describes the struggle or the fight between Charles and Alex, did she indicate what happened next? Yes. And what was that? Uh, she directed, at one point, Tylee outside, um, because JJ was outside. So she had directed Tylee outside to JJ, and she had moved through, through the house into the kitchen, which you would become an ear witness, not an eye witness, because you can hear but wouldn't be able to see. So she had described moving around and being able to hear what's going on but not seeing what's going on. Um, and she describes hearing one gunshot. After hearing the gunshot, did she tell you what she then did? She did. What was that? Um, she indicated that upon entry back into the room, she could see Charles down on the floor, and that at that point she uh, made a decision to go to her children. Um, she went outside and described uh, J.J. as, like, coming back towards the house, um, and at that point she put J.J. in the car and with Tylee left uh, with J.J. with the intention to take him to school. And before she left, she indicated she'd heard a shot and seen Charles on the floor. Is that correct? Correct. Do you know where Charles' phone was at that point? I do not. At some point, did you later recover Charles' phone? I did. Were you informed where it had been? Uh, at the time that we recover, I recovered the phone, it was uh, with... Lori and Alex in Charles's rental car. Did Lori 
She told you she went outside with the intention to take JJ to school. Did she tell you what she did next? She did. And what was that? Um, she had indicated they left the house. Um, she advised that they actually went through the drive-thru at Burger King um, because JJ is very fond of chicken fries and Sprite. Uh, they went through to get him food and then took him to school. And then her and Tylee returned to the house. Did she indicate when she saw Charles on the ground if she saw where Alex was? I believe she mentioned him being in the proximity, but we didn't talk specifically um, as far as positioning like we would in like a walkthrough interview or something like that. After she left, did she indicate if she received any phone calls? We did discuss phone calls. Do you recall what she stated regarding that? Uh, she indicated shortly after leaving the house that her brother Alex had called her and asked her if he had left, if she had left, and she indicated that she did, that she was taking JJ to school and that he needed to call 911. Are you aware of any 911 calls being placed by Lori Vallow that morning? I am not aware of any, no. She indicated she had her phone with her? She did. Did you speak with Detective Moffat about your interview with Ms. Vallow? I did. Do you know if he had interviewed anyone that morning? Uh, Detective Moffat interviewed Alex Cox. Are you aware if there were discrepancies in what Alex Cox reported from what Lori Vallow told you? I am aware, yes. And are there discrepancies? There are. Once the interview was completed, what happened next? Once uh, the interview with Lori was complete, I conducted an interview with Tylee. And then the, once Detective Moffat completed his interview with Alex, at that point, uh, myself and Detective Moffat transported Lori, Tylee, and Alex back to the house. When you transported Lori back to the house, did you make any observations regarding her demeanor or behaviors? I did. What were those observations? Um, so I drove. Um, Detective Moffitt was in the very back. Um, we actually took the victim services van so we could transport all three together. Um, during the entirety of the car ride, um, She was very calm and put together, um, very uh, nonchalant about what had happened, um, not upset, and um, there was some conversation and, and chatter about uh, kind of tiley in school and just kind of mundane uh, conversation, uh, very, very nonchalant about what was going on at the time. And if I may have just a moment, Your Honor. You may.
I have no further questions, Your Honor. All right, thank you, Ms. Blake. Cross-examination. So you indicate, uh, Detective, that these interviews were recorded? Correct. And did you watch those again to remind you what had happened some almost four years ago? I did. And is that how you base your testimony is, is reviewing all that again? Partially, yes. And so the interview with, with uh, Lori was recorded? Correct. The one in the FAC was, yes. The interview with Tylee was recorded? Yes. The interview with Alex was recorded? I believe so, yes. And uh, and then after all these uh, interviews, then you detectives, you all get together and, and compare notes. Yeah, fair. And it was determined at that time that uh, Alex Cox was justified in self-defense of this shooting? No. Uh, were there any arrests of Alex Cox? Your Honor, may we approach? Yes. All right, we took a brief sidebar. We're back on the record now. Council, we were just discussing the nature of this testimony. Uh, I'll just indicate on the record the last question posed by uh, Mr. Archibald asking the detective, quote, were there any arrests of Alex Cox? Uh, Mr. Archibald, there's not an objection at this point. There was a sidebar. So uh, you can proceed with that question or you can withdraw the question or however you want to go forward with your cross at this time. Did you arrest Alex Cox on July 11th, 2019? I did not. The information that you had of an argument uh, between Charles and Lori and Alex and Tylee, uh, was that consistent with all your interviews? Mostly. And was it consistent that Tylee had uh, brought a bat to the argument to defend her mother? Correct. Was it consistent that uh, in your interviews that Charles took away the bat from Tylee? Correct. Was it consistent that... Uh, Alex was hit in the head by Charles with the bat, with all these interviews? Yes. Now you say, in, in your experience, uh, that Lori was not upset or acting or acting a certain way. Um, 
is there is there a correct and an incorrect way to act uh, when your estranged husband is shot? I don't know that there's a correct way to react to any death. It was, it left an impression upon me how unemotional she was. Thank you, Detective. I don't have anything else. All right, thank you, Mr. Archibald. Any redirect, Ms. Blake? Yes, Your Honor. Detective Inklin, you were asked if the Chandler Police Department made a determination that this was justifiable homicide? I was asked that, yes. Is that a determination that the police department makes? Absolutely not. How, what is the process uh, for making that determination? So I'll, in Aaron, I'll object, Your Honor, that's outside the scope of direct. Your Honor, defense specifically asked, isn't it true that Chandler deemed this a justifiable homicide? She responded, no, I'm doing some follow-up on that. Counsel, given the circumstances where we are, I'm going to sustain that objection and find that's outside the scope of proper cross-examination and sustain that. Do you generally meet with the prosecution, the prosecutor's office at some point during an investigation? I'll yes. object, Your Honor. Relevance. Sustained. So the jury's uh, instructed to disregard that last response. Are you aware if Alex Cox is alive? I'll object, Your Honor, relevance. Overruled. I am aware that he is deceased. Do you know when he died? I believe it was in December the following year. Could it have been December of the same year? It could have been, yes. If Alex Cox was still alive, do you believe your agency would have made a recommendation for charges to be filed? Objection. Sustained. Instruct the witness not to answer that. Your Honor, she was asked a question specifically regarding the arrest of Alex Cox by defense. I understand, and I'm limiting the nature of the cross because this is information related to Arizona for which the defendant's not on trial. Do you generally arrest someone the day of an, inve an investigation is opened? I'll ob object relevance. Your Honor, again, they specifically that's, asked. That's overruled, and she, the witness can answer. Can you say that again? Sorry. Do you generally make an arrest the day an investigation is opened? I would say no, because generally every case is different, and it depends on the circumstances in the case and the totality of the investigation. 
if I may have just a moment. Your Honor, may we approach briefly? Yes. Your Honor, the state has no further questions. All right. Thank you, Ms. Blake. And, Your Honor, the state would ask that this witness be excused. Okay. Any objection to this witness being released at this time from the defense? No objection. All right. Thank you, Detective Yanklin. Then you can be excused. Thank you for your testimony today. Would the state like to call another witness at this time? We could also consider the afternoon break if you'd like to do that before your next witness. It's up to you, Ms. Blake. Your Honor, I think this may be a good time for an afternoon break. The state had approached the court and counsel about something that would need to be heard outside the presence of the jury. Okay. Let's take our break, and I'll briefly meet with you in the hall to discuss where we're at with that. All right. Please. Okay. We're going back on the record on Case CR 22-21-1624, State of Idaho v. Lori Noreen Vallow. We just completed our afternoon recess, and the state is preparing to call the next witness. Counsel, we discussed having the witness sworn to address an issue perhaps before the jury was brought in and have them take the stand to go through that first. So if the state is ready, then we'll go ahead and have your witness brought in to be sworn, and then we'll go from there. Thank you, Your Honor. The state will call April Raymond. All right. Now that the witness has been sworn, I've been asking each witness because there's a rule called the exclusionary rule that allows for witnesses to not be permitted to review or listen to other testimony during trial. So I've been asking each witness because we've got multiple viewing locations for the court, so we're not always clear on who may be observing trial testimony, and that would apply to those witnesses that are going to be providing testimony in the case. With this particular witness, the state, and I very much appreciate you 
bringing it to my attention before uh, just asking the question that there may have been some exposure to pretrial testimony, but I'm not sure if there was. So perhaps just to get started, um, Ms. Smith, if you'd like to make an inquiry in that regards and see what uh, this witness may have been uh, exposed to before coming in to testify today. Um, thank you, Your Honor. And uh, I don't believe there's I'm not sure how much of this was on the record before. In pretrial preparation, the witness mentioned that she had received a, 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 a message, um, and just in an abundance of caution, we brought that to the attention of the court. But for the record, ma'am, will you um, state your name and spell your last name for the court reporter, please? Sure. My name is April Raymond, R-A-Y-M-O-N-D. Okay. And in pre-trial preparation, um, uh, myself and Lieutenant Ron Ball and uh, one of the lead prosecutors, Rob Wood, met with you, correct? That's correct. All right. And did we uh, mention to you the rule, the exclusionary rule, that you're not allowed to listen to any of the testimony? Yes. Okay. Have you listened to any of the testimony? No, I have not. Okay. Have you reviewed anybody's testimony from the courtroom? No, I have not. Have we reviewed any of the evidence that has appeared in this courtroom in this trial? No, I have not. Okay. Um, can you tell us about a, a, a messenger you received um, and then um, tell us whether that had any impact on your testimony here today? Uh, it was just a Facebook message um, forwarding an interview from Justin Lum with um, a member of Ms. Vallow's family. Okay. Um, and you received a Facebook messenger of a, an interview from uh, journalist Justin Lum? I did. Okay. Could and you spell the journalist's name again, last name? I, I believe it's L-U-M. Um, he's a journalist out of Arizona, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. And can you tell, you say a member of whose family? I apologize. I know you said, but I forgot. Um, so it was an interview with Lori's cousin that wasn't, I don't believe it was, it was just an interview that the reporter did independently, not involving this proceeding. Okay. And um, and that interview was not about this trial itself or witness testimony? No, it was not. Okay. I haven't watched the whole thing. Was there anything in that interview by Mr. Lum um, of the defendant's cousin talking about the evidence in this trial occurring now in Boise. Honestly, I didn't complete the entire interview. I saw maybe two minutes of it. I didn't watch the whole interview. So what I saw did not have anything to do with what's been happening. And with clarification from you and your team, I understood that it really didn't have anything to do with the exclusionary clause. Okay. But um, did you follow up on it, look at it? Did you do anything else with that link? No, I did not. Okay. Have you looked at any other links about the trial testimony in this case? No, I have not. Okay. Um, anything about um, the evidence offered in this case? No. Okay. Did you look at any of the comments associated with Mr. Lum's um, article? The comments on the article from Lori's cousin? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. Did you see anything in there that um, would affect your testimony today? In my opinion, no. Okay. Um, and um, did you see any comments in there about trial testimony before Judge Boyce? No. Okay. Um, Your Honor, does the court or have any other questions? I don't have any further questions with that line of uh, questioning you just went through. I will, however, allow the defense uh, at this point to ask any further questions just on that narrow, limited scope of the issue of the exclusionary rule. 
I'm not sure which attorney would be conducting cross in this case for the witness, Mr. Archibald. All right, do you have any questions for Ms. Raymond on regards to the exclusionary rule before we get started with her testimony? So this article that you started but didn't finish, you scrolled down to read the comments about the article? Yes. What were the comments saying? I mean, in general, it was about the LDS Church's influence on the proceedings. That was one comment. How about the other ones? I mean, I didn't read every comment, just a handful of comments. Oh, that's what you remember reading was people talking about the LDS Church? Yes. Anything else? No. In your exposure to what's happened here in case, in this case, you've previously provided interviews for the media, is that right? That's correct. And has the media contacted you to do follow-up interviews? Judge, I'm going to object. That's beyond the scope of this. I understand it's fair for cross in front of the jurors, but for this particular issue, I failed to see the relevance. I'll sustain that. We're narrowed in scope right here to Idaho Rule of Evidence 615, which is just the exclusionary rule, which is narrow in scope as to whether any trial testimony has been observed. So that was my question, whether being contacted by the media and to set up another interview with you, if you've been told what's been going on in the case. No, I have not. So have you agreed to grant interviews to these media outlets? Judge, again, I understand it's a question for regular cross, but as to the particular issues involving pre-trial publicity or trial publicity exposure, it's beyond the scope. It is. And at this point, unless there's any further indication the court satisfied the exclusionary rule, would not have been violated by listening to any other witnesses' testimony in the case. So if you have any other questions just directly on that point, you can ask those now and you'll have an opportunity for those other topics on cross, Mr. Archibald. Well, I think my question does go to what reporters have told her if she's talked to them. So have you talked to them? Your Honor, I'm going to object to vague. If we're talking about after the trial started rather than before, I still think it's not relevant. I think it's beyond the scope, but that question itself is, one, irrelevant, two, vague. Well, I don't want to get too far afield here. I am going to overrule that objection, Mr. Archibald, if you can keep it narrowed to the scope of trial testimony and re-ask the question, I'll allow it. Have you been contacted by interviewers, the media, reporters, about following up on previous interviews that you did with the media? Yes, I have, and I've given them the directive from the prosecutor's office that was included in the subpoena that I received. So you told them, I'll talk to you after the trial but not before the trial? I just sent them the directive and said I was not able to participate in any interviews at this time without any promise of any future interviews. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Counsel, thanks for going through that issue outside the presence of the jury. I think that was more appropriate. Without them hearing that issue, the court does not find there's any evidence there's been a violation of the exclusion of witness rule and the court's prior order enforcing that rule in the case. So at this time, 
we'll have the jurors brought in and allow for direct examination of the witness. Thank you, Your Honor. You're welcome. And ma'am, while the jurors coming in, there's water right there if you need it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bailiff. Please be seated. <clears throat> All right, the witness has been sworn. We can commence with direct examination. I'll just instruct the witness, please use verbal responses to any questions and avoid talking at the same time as anyone questioning you so we can keep the record clear in the case. With that in mind, then, Ms. Smith, you can conduct your direct examination. Thank you, Your Honor. Good afternoon. Hello. Can you please introduce yourself to the ladies and gentlemen of the jury and spell your last name for the record, please? Of course. So my name is April Raymond. My last name is spelled R-A-Y-M-O-N-D. Okay. And ma'am, where do you live? I live in Kilauea, Hawaii. Okay. How long have you lived in Hawaii? I've lived in Hawaii for 18 years. Okay. Um, do you have any children? I do. I have two. Okay. Um, and do you know Lori Vallow? I did know Lori Vallow, yes. Okay. How did you know Lori Vallow? We met uh, as we were both members of the Hanalei branch. Okay. When you say Hanalei branch, is that a part of the LDS church? It is. It's a, a branch is a division smaller than a ward. There's not enough of population to have a ward, so we have branches. Okay. Um, do you remember when you met her at, at the branch? I do. When was that? Uh, 2016. Okay. Um, and how was it you came to know her? So uh, we were introduced um, at church, um, and she had become the president of the primary organization and had asked me to be one of her counselors. Okay. Um, and did your relationship just stay at church, or did it progress into a, a, a friendship outside the church? We did have a friendship outside of um, our Auxiliary responsibilities, yes. Okay. Um, and what was the nature of that friendship? Um, I mean, we our children spent time together. We spent time in each other's homes, celebrated holidays together. Um, okay. Did you get to know her daughter, Tylee? I did. Okay. Um, did you get to know her son, JJ? I did. Um, was her son, Colby, living in the home at the time? Uh, off and on. So he was there for a time, and then he was called on a mission, and then he uh, was home again. Um, so he wasn't there the entire time that uh, the Vallows were there. And uh, during the time that you knew uh, the defendant in Hawaii, did you know her spouse? Yes. What was her spouse's name at that time? Charles Vallow. Okay. Um, how often did you see the defendant? Um Charles worked from home a lot, so uh, I would be at Lori's, and Charles would be there quite often. He would come to a lot of the activities we did with the children. Um, he was a, a constant presence. Okay, so you got to know Charles. How often would you see uh, Lori? Um, we would get together maybe once or twice a week. Okay. 
Um, and what sort of things would you do? We would go for walks together. Um, she's a hairstylist, so she would color my hair. Um, we would plan activities for the kids and um, go shopping in preparation for whatever we had planned for the next activity. Um, at next Friday. activity at church? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, did there come a time where the Vallos moved from Hawaii? Yes. Did you maintain your relationship with um, the uh, defendant and her family? To an extent, yes. Okay. What do you mean to an extent? Um, I mean, we would stay in touch through phone calls or texts and then an occasional visit. Okay. Um, did one such a visit occur in um, early winter, uh, um, late winter, early spring of 2019? Yes. Do you remember when that visit was? I do. It was February of 2019. Okay. And uh, it was the weekend before Valentine's Day. Okay. How did that visit um, occur? Was it a planned visit? No, it was a very unexpected one. All right. Can you tell us about that visit? Uh, I received a call from Lori that she and Tylee had landed in Kauai. Um, She said that she was leaving Charles, had a lot to tell me. Um, they were checking into their hotel, and that um, we would talk later. Okay. And did you talk later? We did. All right. How did that happen? Um, she reached out to me. Uh, they needed a place to stay. I offered my home as an option, and uh, her and Tylee came to stay with me the following day. All right. Um, did you have a chance to talk to her about her situation uh, back home? Yes. And when I say back home in February of 2019, where did you understand from the de- uh, defendant, Lori Vallow, that she was living? In Arizona. Okay. Did she talk to you about what was going on in her home in Arizona? Uh, yes. She said that a lot had changed. Um, she said that her and Charles were going to be getting divorced, that Charles had had an affair and then the conversation changed to where Charles wasn't Charles. That Charles was a demon named Ned Snyder. And the conversation just kind of evolved from there. Okay. So there, there's a lot in that answer. So let me make sure I understand. Um, you had a conversation that they were getting separated or they were divorcing? Initially, yes. Okay. Who Now, who was visiting with Lori Vallow when she was at your home at this time? Tylee was with okay. her. Where was JJ? JJ was with Charles, was my understanding. Okay. And um, did the defendant say why she didn't bring JJ? Uh, She said that she was done with JJ and that Charles and his sister Kay would need to figure it out. Okay. Um, And what did you understand that meant done with JJ meant? Taken into the context of she's going through a divorce, I took it to mean that if they went through a divorce that Tylee would go with Lori and uh, Charles would take on the responsibility of JJ exclusively was my understanding. Okay. Um, and during this, you also mentioned that um, she talked about um, that Charles was no longer Charles. Yes. All right. Um, what did she say about that? In terms of... When she said Charles was no longer Charles, how was that connected to her talking about separating from Charles? Sure. Um, So she had said that Charles was already dead and that there was a demon living inside him and kind of using his body as a host. 
um, and that the demon's name was Ned Snyder. Did you follow up on that? Um, did she give you any sort of evidence of this? Um, when I asked, how do you know that it's not Charles? She said, because he's shorter. Um, and did she ever talk to you about um, sort of um, that relationship in any other settings? As far as? Her relationship with Charles. I'm sorry, it's been a long day. Let me ask you a better question. Yeah, I'm not sure. Did she it. did she have any other conversations with you about Charles at any other locations other than at your home? During that visit? During that visit. Um, it wasn't that week that she stayed with me. Um, did it uh, was there another conversation later? Yes. Okay. Um was there any other conversations about uh, Charles that week she stayed with you? Yes. Tell us about the conversation that occurred that week she stayed with you. So during that week, um, apparently Charles didn't know that she was in Hawaii. And why do you say that? Um, because that's what she told me. Um, and she said that if Charles reached out to not tell him where she was and that he was um, had a private investigator kind of following her and that she had led him to believe that she was going to be in Idaho for a conference and that he was going to be having her served with papers in Idaho. What type of papers? Um, I, was, I assumed they were divorce papers. Okay. Um, any other conversations that week they were in um, staying with you in Hawaii um, that you can recall? Not really anything more than what we've already discussed. Okay. And earlier you indicated there had been additional conversations. Did they stay with you the entire time they were in Hawaii? No, they did okay. not. Okay. So after that week they were with you, where did they go? Kauai Beach Resort. Okay. And um, did you have contact with uh, Lori Vallow while she was staying at the Kauai Beach Resort? I did. Okay. What contact was that? Um, so it was later in the month, um, and... Uh, she had been joined by Melanie Gibb. And so Melanie Gibb and Lori and I went out several evenings once we went out for an afternoon lunch and then a couple evenings for dinner. Okay. Um, where was Tylee at this time? At this time, Tylee was, my understanding was she was back in Arizona working at her aunt's chiropractic clinic. Okay. And um, uh, was JJ now in Hawaii? No. Okay. Um, did you see JJ at all during the time the, the defendant was in Hawaii in February or March of 2019? No. Okay. Um, and so you said you went, you saw her a couple of more times with Melanie Gibb present. Yes. Okay. Can you think of, uh, you mentioned a lunch. Where was the lunch? We had lunch at a restaurant in Hanalei called Calypso. Okay. Um, and during that lunch, did the conversation of Charles come up? Yes. Or did the conversation turn to Charles? Yes. All right. And um, how was that conversation? What was that specifically about? Uh, um, it was Charles. It was, I mean, a combination of things. There was Charles had sent an email to Lori's family um, kind of pleading for help. And um, she showed me the email and just, again, asked not me not to respond to Charles if he reached out. Um, okay. And um, 
did uh was there another conversation about um Charles and communications with him um at one of the dinners you attended? The conversation about Charles was more about um now Melanie had joined the conversation and was kind of confirming what Laurie was saying that Charles wasn't. And I'll Charles. object to hearsay from Melanie Gibb. Um, well, Your Honor, I'm not offering it for the truth of the story that Charles was, in fact, possessed by a demon. I'm offering it to show context to what the defendant said in relation. That's so, so the objection is overruled. Thank you. So I'm sorry. What what did Melanie say? Do you mind repeating the question? Just so sure. I sure I understand. At the, at the dinner that you attended, um, um, where you and Melanie Gibb and um, Lori were present, um, how did the conversation with Charles or Char- her relationship with Charles come up? Um, the incident was brought up about um, Charles coming back from the airport where his car had been taken, um, his flight had been canceled, and just how angry he was about that taking place. Um, so when you say the incident, um, what does that mean? So there was an incident where Charles had been on a business trip, and uh, Lori had discovered evidence of him having an affair. And as a reaction or a retaliation, canceled his flight, canceled his credit card, and moved his truck from the airport parking lot. And just kind of how that all unfolded and his reaction to that. Okay. And so um, did Lori Vallo tell you about that? Yes. Okay. Did Melanie Gibb? Corroborate that conversation. Yes. yes. Okay. In fact, did Ms. Gibb um, indicate who um, helped Lori in this? I don't remember exactly. Okay. So, um, did uh, during this conversation at the dinner, did anything else come up about um, uh, the Lori Vallow's relationship with Charles Vallow? Melanie was just confirming what Lori had told me about Charles being possessed by a demon. Now, um, during these various conversations, did the defendant ever talk to you about um, participating in the formation of the 144,000 who are supposed to shepherd in the second coming of Christ? Yes, that was a conversation the first night that she stayed with me when it was just she and Tylee. Okay. Um, and what did uh, Lori Vallis say to you about that? She said that she had been appointed a leader of one of the 144,000 and that she was there to gather me. And um, what did you understand gather you meant? Um, to join join her. Okay. Um, and what did she say was going to be needed for you to do in order to join her in this group? That I would need to be separated from my children. Okay. Um, did she indicate um, why? Um, basically that my children were raised, I'd, I'd fulfilled my role in their lives and that I had a greater calling, a greater mission to perform with her. Okay. And did she indicate um, that um, what you should do with your kids? Basically just leave them with their father. Okay. If I may have one moment, Your Honor. Yes.
Thank you, ma'am. I have nothing further. Thanks, Judge. All right, Mr. Archibald, cross-examination. So Lori was in Hawaii, uh, lived there a year or two in 2016, 2017? Correct. And that's, uh, you still live there? Mm-hmm. I do. And uh, you two were friends? and uh, fellow church members? Yes, sir. And you say you had some kids. How old were they back then? Well, now they're, I'd have to do the math, but they're uh, 17 and 18 now. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so maybe 10 and 12 around there? Yes, sir. So during this visit in February of 2019, you were getting caught up with your with your old friend Lori. Yes, sir. And had you noticed a change in her belief system? Yes. So when you two were serving in your church together, uh, did she uh, believe in multiple lives or multiple creations? Not to my knowledge. Uh, did she mention that in February of 2019? Yes. Um, and did you ask her why she was changing her belief system? I don't know that I specifically asked her that question, um, but it was my understanding that her belief system had changed because of this group that she had recently become a part of. And so uh, previously, when she lived in Hawaii with you in 2016-17, um, she, she didn't have any what would call uh, out-of-the-norm beliefs about Jesus. Not from my observation, no. And then in February of 2019, you noticed that her beliefs about Jesus had changed. They started to change a little bit prior to that. There was a visit before that 2019 visit in uh, July of 2018, and that's the first time, but but that was after she had moved to Arizona. Um, But that was the first time. And then uh, the visit in 2019, the beliefs were more amplified than before. Okay. So in July of 2018, where did you two visit? Uh, a quiet beach resort. Okay, so that was also in Hawaii? Yes, sir. And uh, did she, in 2018 or 2019, did she start to talk about uh, multiple lives being someone, being someone else in a previous life? Yes. Uh, and did you believe in that? No. And did the church that you two attended together, is that what they taught? No. Uh, did she, in, Ju- in July of 18 or February of 19, did she start to talk about zombies? Not in 2018, but in 2019. Okay. 
And uh, is, is that something that you two had previously talked about in, in Hawaii in 2016? No. So that was something new as well? Yes. How about uh, casting out evil spirits? Did, did Lori have that new belief that she had some power to do that? Not that she shared with me. Okay. In July or of 18 or February of 19, <laughs> did, you, did you talk about castings? No. Okay. How about uh, a, a light and dark scales? Did you ever hear that? Or did she talk to you about that? Yes. And, and when was that? In 2019 in, at my home. Okay. And did you think that was unusual? Yes. Uh, certainly something that you two had never talked about uh, when you lived uh, in Hawaii previously in 2016. That's correct. <clears throat> did she tell you in 2019 that that she was a goddess? Yes. And what was your reaction to that? I just tried to not react and just listen to her. Uh, you mentioned that she said she was a leader of the 144,000. Uh, that happened in the February of 2019? Yes, sir. And had she ever mentioned that in 2016? Not in 2016, but in 2018. Okay. And did you ask her where she was starting or why she was starting to change her beliefs? Yes, and it was that she had had some experiences um, in the LDS temple that had changed her view of herself and her life. And then she had found these like a group of like-minded individuals who had also had those same experiences. And and did you, when she was telling you that, did you believe it? No. And did you tell her that? Yes. And what was her response to you? Um, I don't think she was upset. I think she, I, I, my impression was she just thought I wasn't ready to hear it, maybe. Okay. Um, did she talk to you about... Uh, about setting up a new church called the Church of the Firstborn? No. When, when you two, you say you, you served together in a, in a branch in Hawaii, is that in 2016, 2017? Yes. And, and what, what organization was that? Uh, it's called the Primary. And the primary is for children? Children 12 and under. And so uh, what, did, what did you and, and Lori spend time uh, in primary teaching children? So you would teach from scriptures. Um, she has a strong background in music, so she you know, did a lot of music time with the children. Um, we planned activities. Uh, for during the week, um, holiday parties. Um, we usually had one activity a week and then um, the services on Sunday. 
that we would plan and participate in. And so for these uh, activities and for the lessons for these children under the age of 12, uh, were they taught about Jesus? Yes. And that were they taught that Jesus uh, was good? Yes. Were they were these children taught that Jesus healed sick people? Yes. Um, that uh, were they taught that Jesus uh, cast out evil spirits? Perhaps I, I don't recall specifically. Okay, but just uh, simple lessons about the love of God and uh, and how we need to be good people. Yes. That was the the subject of the of the lessons in 2016. Yes. And so, uh, with your friend, uh, three, two, three years later, you'd you'd noticed that her focus wasn't on that anymore. It was on other things. Yes. And did you know Melanie Gibb uh, before she came and joined you that, that one time in Hawaii? No, that was the first time I met her. And was she, uh, uh, in her belief system, she was similar to Lori? Yes. That, uh, from the statements that Melanie and Lori were telling you about their, their new beliefs, uh, were Melanie and Lori on the same page with that? Yes. And they they asked you to join? I think it was kind of like a, a subtle grooming is how I would describe it, just kind of testing the water to see my reaction. And But I could feel that the ultimate um, goal was to include me. Okay. And your response was, no thanks? Not interested. Thank you very much. All right, Mr. Archibald, that then concludes the cross-examination. Does the state have any redirect? Very briefly, Your Honor. Very well. Sorry, adjusting it, Mr. Archibald. It's taller than I am. Um, now, um, Ma'am, on cross-examination, you mentioned uh, this group that she was a part of? Yes. Um, was it your understanding she was one of the leaders of this group? I didn't know the hierarchy or, or the lead. Well, the leadership that I'm referring to is being a leader in gathering the 144,000. The group that I'm referring to is the podcast group that was described to me. Okay. I'm not sure if that distinction is necessary. Okay. Um, this podcast group, who was in it? Uh, the names that I was told were uh, Zulema Pastenis, uh, Melanie Gibb, Jason Mao, um, Thor, I don't remember his last name, Chad Daybell. Okay. Um, and um, the, the individuals in this podcast group, were they also committed to this uh, mission in helping form and pull together the 144,000? 
That was my understanding of how it was explained to me, yes. And that was explained to you by Lori Vallow? Yes. Nothing further. Thank you, Anna. All right. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Any recross on that? Okay. That will conclude your testimony then. Thank you for appearing and testifying today. Is this witness allowed to be excused? I would ask that she is. Any objection from the defense? No objection. All right. Then you're excused from any subpoena you may be under. And I'll let you go ahead and step down and then address the jurors in the gallery here. All right, given the time at this point, then, we are going to recess for the day uh, in this. Give me a moment. Before we do so, I just want to remind the jurors again, as I do each day, please don't talk to anyone else about the case. Uh, please don't do any investigation into the case, watch any news coverage of the case, or do anything else that could unfairly prejudice uh, what you're hearing here as the evidence in the case only so that your deliberations are based on just that. So I appreciate you following that admonishment every day. We'll request that you fill out your daily juror affirmation in the morning when you return, indicating you've complied with that. And with that in mind, we will break for the day and start again tomorrow morning at 8.30. All right,